Wrestling Geeks Alliance. Geek Vibes doing out there <laughs> are you suffering from a lack of you know opinions for professional wrestling do you wish to talk to people that don't just throw their opinion on you and just enjoy a good conversation about good wrestling out there not, without picking which one's better than the other well you have come to the right place because here at wrestling geeks alliance that's exactly what we do every week uh or at least achieve to try to do with me and my co-host, Christopher Brother Ray Patton, we're going to bring to you, all you new listeners out there, the latest and greatest in professional wrestling news and provide you with reviews for the shows this past week. we got a big packed show for you, so all past listeners, I'm sure you're excited. We're going to go over the Wednesday Night Wars. We're going to go over SmackDown. we got a couple news items, and we're going to give our predictions for Survivor Series, which will have... The end of the phenom, the dead man, big evil himself, the Undertaker. But I can't do this by myself. I have to introduce the man I mentioned beforehand. Christopher Brother Ray Patton, how are you doing today on this lovely Saturday in which we record the show? Doing wonderful, man. I got my noon beers. As past listeners will know about the noon beers. Uh, it's been a crazy week at work, but outside of that, no complaints. I'm off all next week. So it's just going to be a lot of catching up on Ring of Honor and Impact and New Japan, all the stuff I may have missed in this crazy amount of wrestling that we have. Hell, I might even get crazy and watch some MLW, Dane. How, how's your week been? How are, you go, how are you doing? I am doing good. Excellent. We are at the weekend. I got some nice plans for this evening. I'm actually drinking coffee right now, but uh, I just realized I do have beers upstairs, so... I might uh, cut up there while you're, you know, talking about something and grab a, you know, one to five, whatever, uh, can suffice this um, episode. But uh, anyways, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a good week. Um, I'm looking forward to talking about some wrestling. Are you ready to get into the news? Let's do it. All right. So one article popped up today. Uh, apparently, well, not apparently, uh, Basically, the large um, promotions, the officials from New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling, Stardom, which is a subsidiary to the company that owns New Japan, but uh, uh, Pro Wrestling Noah and Yoshi Pro met with the House of Representatives to discuss promoting uh, professional wrestling going forward. So they're trying to figure out a way to bring live attendance back. Um, and since Japan has cut down their numbers you know, significantly, they're trying to go about it um, in a safe manner and also provide the content because Japan, one of the things that basically their economy uh, relies on is professional wrestling. It's one of the bigger entertainment conglomerates over there. So just the fact, Chris, uh, that you know we have all the organizations working together. There's a great picture that you can find online of all of them smiling, you know, kind of look like they were trying to get some stuff done this is positive 
And I don't want to say it's doubtful, but now the position of New Japan under new ownership, maybe there's a possibility for more crossover appeal within the future. Um, the only thing that we really have as of, you know, all Japan, I would say, I, I don't remember any stars from Noah being over in the States as of recently, but um, last uh, on Impact's uh, pay-per-view last week, we had Dan Doing, I think, is the gentleman's name. He was uh, under a different alias over in uh, TNA before where he got his start, but I mean, he's a two-time Triple Crown champion. He just came over to Impact and uh, one of their big gaijin talents, uh, very Stan Hansen-like. Uh, but basically, other than that, the mainstream appeal comes from New Japan. I'm wondering if this is maybe going to sort of to get everything going back. I wonder if New Japan, kind of like AEW is doing over here with MLW, with NWA, um, you know, if they're going to extend a hand and try to work and maybe trade talent or whatnot to get things back to the way they were. Um, what do you think about all this? It's interesting. That photo, because I played Yakuza recently, <laughs> it made me think of like the uh, Yakuza scene with uh, Chono in the construction company. So for those gamers out there that have played Yakuza Kiwami, you'll know what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to say the least. I don't know. I, I haven't had enough time to actually read into this in too much detail. My guess would be the primary conversation is not... I would assume is not cannibalizing each other's audience with such low attendance. So potentially not running shows in the same cities at the same time when the, I think they're only letting a thousand people into the building. So like the Tokyo dome, if I remember with G one for the Tokyo dome and uh, trying to think of the other, I can't think of the other major place right now for some reasons it's eluding me but uh i remember them saying they were only at 20 percent, and i think the tokyo dome was something like 10 to twelve thousand is how many it holds so they were only bringing in like a thousand two thousand people with temporal scans and that was the last update i heard about how they were handling their live attendance so i wonder i guess the question is are they looking at increasing that number or is this just a way for them to discuss trade talent like you said or if they're just trying not to cannibalize each other's show, and this is like a meeting of the minds, so to speak, like you would have back in the territory days, and the, as we've all heard, or older wrestling fans have heard about, you know, the head promoters all sitting at a round table kind of deal. But it's interesting, for sure. I definitely, uh, definitely like that stuff like this is happening in a time period where it's Definitely hit everyone worldwide uh, with the outcome of the coronavirus and everything with jobs and, you know, stuff going down. So I'm glad it seems like a lot of companies are pulling and, and working together, especially, you know, when it really comes down to it, New Japan doesn't have to really speak about anything. But unless, like you said, unless it's just, hey, you guys have this, you go to Budokan Call, uh, we'll be over at the Tokyo Dome, you know, Sumo Hall, whatever. We'll trade off, but we can't do this around the same date. We can't do this in the same city. We need to work together to make sure that everyone's coming back to these events. And with New Japan, maybe a couple talents that they're not using, you know, to kind of spicing up stuff. Uh, but either way, this is a different time period. This is not with all Japan and New Japan controlled by Baba and Anoki, where there is no way that there was going to be any type of help. Uh, maybe in this situation, but we don't know what would have happened with them at the head of each organization like back in the day. So... 
uh, interesting stuff nonetheless. Um, speaking about Japan, uh, Chris, a wrestler that made his name, I would say, in New Japan as being uh, what's what's the term that he uses? The best bout machine, Kenny Omega was inducted into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame, a Hall of Fame in which a lot of wrestling fans, you know, put up there prestige-wise for being around for as long as it has. Um, you know, up there with the Cauliflower uh, Club and the Luthez, um, you know, Hall of Fame. Um, as something very prestigious, it's voted on by peers of wrestlers. Uh, it's, it's voted on by all the major journalists, a part of the wrestling industry, historians, past wrestlers, new wrestlers, and uh, the talent that is, I guess, under a microscope this time through would be Kenny Omega. And uh, some people have a problem with it, um, some for good reason. You know, I think Mike Tanay said this, Brian Last said this, uh, it's not so much his performance and his, and his work, it's the fact that he hasn't finished his career and we're early on still, technically. But this is how it was going to be. A lot of people are giving Dave Metzler crap for this. Dave Metzler isn't the one who fucking, you know, he doesn't, this is a third ballot, first of all. It's not the first time that he's been included to be inducted. And this is a huge body of people that voted for him. I'm sure that newer wrestlers, uh, younger historians, younger journalists might have surpassed older journalists, older historians, older wrestlers and whatnot. Uh, with the votes when it comes down to it, but by and large, he won uh, this year, and he's going to be included. Now, Dave even said he didn't expect him to get included this year. I guess Okada is eligible for the first time next year, and he thought that there was a big possibility the two of them would be put in together, but either way, you can't... I'm sure people will, and I've heard Jim Cornette with his uh, his sarcastic but, you know... Uh, humor about this whole entire concept. Um, but you can't doubt that Kenny Omega brought eyes to Japan along with Okada, but that match really lit a fire under people's ass. And I want to say is one of the primary people that took the eye a bit off the WWE. Now preceding the stuff that he did in the G1 tournament, those matches were awesome. You know, beforehand, what he was doing with the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, him getting the championship, his matches with Okada, his matches with Tanahashi, uh, his match with Pentagon at All In, that prestigious event was one of my favorites. And then he kind of had a little bit of a slow run with the title, I would say, a little bit lackluster. He got with Kota Ibushi, had some incredible tag team matches as the Golden Lovers, and has kind of taken his time to get to where he is in uh, all Elite Wrestling under what he wanted to do, basically, which is kind of slowly adapt himself and get himself to a certain level and not just become champion. A lot of people disagree with that uh, booking assessment, but, you know, Kenny won, and he was tag team champions with uh, Adam Page, and it looks like there's a good chance he's going to get that title off of John Moxley. So, all in all, um, I find it interesting. I don't think it's as egregious as some people think but i will say the one thing that i think personally about it is what brian last and mike Tenay said to dave metzler is that he's still in the midst of his career so it's kind of hard to reflect and put someone in there when you have people that are done that are dead even 
that still haven't been put into the Hall of Fame that are worthy. So uh, just an interesting concept. How do you personally feel about Kenny Omega getting inducted into the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame? As far as it being his career is not over, it's still going and it should be reflected on the, the reason they don't do it that way with the observer hall of fame. And I'm sure that people realize this is wrestlers never retire <laughs> in any other sport. People retire. Then yep. There's a five to 10 year gap. And then they're eligible to get voted into said hall of fame with wrestling. That just doesn't happen that way. I mean, some of the, like some wrestlers don't even live past the age of 55. If we're being completely honest, uh, so the way that Dave's always handled it, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, is if you've had a career of 10 years, you're eligible to be put onto the ballot. Uh, I guess I have I guess my question for you would be and, and then I'll get further into this conversation. Would you have voted for Kenny Omega to be in this Hall of Fame at this point in his career? I don't think I don't know. I mean, it's very hard. I like Kenny. Uh, I, I've always said, I think that when it comes to him on the mic over in Japan, his connection with the crowd and their style, it worked. Uh, his worth ethic is great. Uh, he can make stuff look intense and very, very real, but sometimes he can get a little bit goofy as well, which has kind of hindered him a bit. Uh, over here in the States, I think he's trying to figure out the way to come off to the audience in American wrestling, which is different, obviously, than, than Japan. And I wouldn't say he's struggling with it, but it's definitely not match with the level of hype, if you will, from people that didn't know Kenny Omega coming over here because you can't just go off match quality. That's not always going to get you uh, to, you know, the next level. And it would have been really interesting to see what happened if you were to have gone straight to WWE to the main roster like was, you know, proposed by WWE. So I think that we're too, I think that we are too soon in his career. Uh, you know, I don't, Remember how old Kenny is. It'll take me two seconds to look it up. Uh, but this kind of will, I think, justify one way or the other. He is 37. So maybe, you know, he, he's going to be uh, 38 oh, next October. So he just turned 37. So maybe if, 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 this is, if he was eligible two years ago, this is the third year up, is he up there as a superstar as far as his peers my question would be, is Daniel Bryan in said Hall of Fame? Is uh, Finn Balor in said Hall of Fame? Is Roman Reigns? I don't know if I think uh, overall Kenny's a bigger star impact in the wrestling industry and to some extent even better in-ring wrestler uh, than the ones I just mentioned. So that's my question. I, I don't know. I guess my thing about Kenny Omega is it'll seem to me, it'll seem a lot less egregious next year when I believe Seth Rollins will get in and you can have the same exact conversation about their careers to some extent mm -hmm. uh, because Seth Rollins best stuff wasn't necessarily in WWE. I mean, I, I would argue, you know, his ring of honor run as Tyler black, as far as in ring work goes was far outshines what he did in WWE it's to me, I, I think that it's okay to put Kenny Omega in the Hall of Fame, considering by most accounts, he had one of the greatest wrestling matches of all time. I am surprised they didn't hold out until next year and put him in with Okada. I'm kind of glad they didn't because if you remember would, the award, it would probably overstage Okada, right? I don't know if it would overstage stage Okada uh, or 
I think more of it is everything, like every award that he's ever been up for in Japan, when he was part of all those matches, Okada always ended up getting the goat, so to speak, mm-hmm. <laughs> and getting voted over. So it would kind of suck for Omega to be, you know, they they wait three years and then just put you in with Okada. And then that means that your career is only important because of Okada. So I'm completely fine with him getting voted in. Like I said, when you have one of the greatest matches of all time, it's really hard to argue that you shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame because you had one of the greatest matches of all time. And, I mean, he was a big part of that company. He was one of the most over people in New Japan. If it was based... I guess if the Hall of Fame was split into countries and you could only induct him for one promotion or something, I would have absolutely no problem with this. The the thing that overshadows it is what he's done in the States for the most part. Um, But you know what people forget, and I'm sure you're forgetting, and I just did until just now, even though we haven't seen a lot of it because it's over in Mexico and then we also have had the pandemic, he has held the number one title in the number one Mexican promotion of AAA, the Mega Championship, for over a year. Uh, he has defended a bunch, but obviously it's been over there. Uh, and then he, we haven't been able to travel. Uh, he's having a match with Laredo Kid at Triple Mania for the title. But even if it's by default, you know, <laughs> we joke and talk about Brock Lesnar being a non-existent champion and picking a couple pay-per-views while being champion. Kenny's definitely wrestled more over there. So he's had a top title in Japan for the biggest company and a top title in Mexico for the biggest company, and there's a good chance he's going to get the second biggest American organization uh, championship in a couple weeks. Yeah, and I I don't know how much of this plays into people's voting, but he was a big part of All In and kind of the creation of what AEW is, a company that doesn't seem like they're going anywhere, that has survived even throughout COVID, got their TV contract extended, got an additional show at some point coming. I mean, if you're looking at it from that standpoint. And then him and Jericho, too, and what they did for business over in New Japan for Alpha yeah. and versus Omega. And I guess the, it's cur- it, what's curious to me is what goes into the mindset of voting and which people voted for and which people voted against. We'll never really know. But I, this isn't anything that just super upsets me about him getting in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's not like they put fucking Hornswoggle in. You know what I mean? Like, let's get realistic here. Kenny's going to have probably a long, successful run in AEW. If you don't like him, you're not going to like him. But you can't you can't look at his body at work and go, that guy's complete trash and he doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. Especially if you look at the three matches of all of his G1 performances, him winning the G1, and then all of those Okada matches. Um, just his run with Kota Ibushi. Him and Ibushi and the Young Bucks. Yeah, I mean, it, it's to me, if like I said, if this was only a Japanese Hall of Fame, or if there was just a section that was for J- Japan, and he got voted in, no one would have a problem with it. Except no, and, <laughs> and, and I mean, and that's the thing is like there was a lot of hubbub uh, with Dave Metzler. I I don't think he listened to the actual clip. He just got word of what was said secondhand, and I know that he got pretty pissed off. But I mean. Jim was completely kidding about saying that the bat. He was joking and referencing the fact that Trump was bitching about the ballots being screwy, you know, and, and comparing it to obviously the observers got, you know, uh, if, if Kenny Omega is going to be in and, and Brian last kind of put him in his place like he normally does. And 
It wasn't as bad as as Dave made it out to be, but yeah, Jim's never going to be fucking happy with Kenny Omega. But here's the thing, Jim, and I, and I I do like Jim Cornette. Kenny, when it comes down to it, in you know not not the big Gaijin wrestlers like your Stan Hansens, your Vaders, you know your your Terry Gordys, whatever. He is the biggest, I would say, star from Japan as a Gaijin wrestler. That's more of a wrestler. Since Dynamite Kid, I mean, I think that popularity in Japan, I think he's he kind of outshined AJ. Uh, I think that you could say that he probably outshined Owen, who didn't go too far past the junior heavyweights when he was over there. Benoit, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that basically he was as big in Japan as a grappling style wrestler that could put on these amazing long matches, you know, I would say since Dynamite. And he didn't have recognition from the states really like those other wrestlers i mentioned he was just known from being a japanese talent uh even dynamite obviously was big here before he went to japan so there is something to say for that i think yeah i have to agree with you i mean and and like i said earlier being part of the reason that AEW exists Yep, is is a huge accomplishment, and and for everyone out there that's not a Kenny Omega fan, I look, I get it. He's not for everybody. I will say, if you don't think the guy was a good wrestler, go back and look at some of the contract offers that WWE was throwing at this guy when he came out of Japan, because they were absolutely ridiculous. We're talking like Brock Lesnar amount of money to keep him from going to AEW, which he turned down to to help start AEW, as we know, but. I mean, obviously the guy's talented if Vince McMahon's willing to throw out that much money. Yep, I would say so. So uh, congratulations to Kenny. Um, just, uh, you know, some uh, interesting stuff. But uh, let's get over to our last piece of news. This one kind of coincides with what we'll talk about later. Uh, big title change, Chris, on Monday Night Raw. Episode of Raw uh, wasn't too bad. Uh, I got put through a table again. Weird. Um, Street Prop, or not Street Prop, it's uh, The New Day had a match with the Hurt Business that was pretty good, but Shelton Benjamin kind of had a series of dives that were just absolutely ridiculous that people are definitely looking at the most. But the biggest thing that happened, Drew McIntyre beat Randy Orton to gain back the Universal Championship belt. Or is it the WWE World Heavyweight Champion? I forgot which one's on which. It's maybe, I, I don't know if they traded them or not. Anyways... Uh, but Drew beat Randy Orton, got back the belt. Uh, very interesting way of doing it. Now, I know that, obviously, Drew's probably, arguably, their biggest built babyface right now on the roster. It's not like a previous performer that's been there for a while, someone that's groomed in the last, like, year. And Roman's obviously the biggest heel. Was this a situation, is what I'm asking you, where they weren't looking ahead or were they just trying to get, like, all right, well, Randy, you got screwed over with the ambulance match, so we're going to have to give you the title this time because I don't know why we're extending this other than just prolonging. And then, you know, then you'll get another notch because I'm assuming Rick wants him to eventually beat his thing. I have no fucking clue. I'm just trying to to figure out the, the, the way of thinking because this reminds me of Jinder Mahal was supposed to go against Brock Lesnar, and then they realized, why the fuck are we having Jinder Mahal a heel going against Brock Lesnar a heel? And AJ took back that fucking title at Madison Square Garden so he could go into Survivor Series going against Brock. Uh, And not only that, catering for a belt versus belt, but nothing's on the line match is kind of silly in itself. 
But then again, with the hype, with what they did on SmackDown, I am excited about this match. They have had matches before in the past, but their characters now positioned. I think that they're at the height of, of where they're going, and I'm, I'm looking forward to watching this match. I'm almost 100% positive. I don't know why the fuck they do it the opposite way, that Roman's going to beat Drew, but it's going to be a good, you know, hard-hitting match. And uh, who knows? It could be the biggest thing on the card. I'm assuming it will be, other than The Undertaker. So what do you think about the fact that Randy had a short championship run, and now we're going Drew versus Roman Reigns? It was set up basically on SmackDown. They went through with it. Was this a case of them trying to get another notch on Randy's did, did, were they thinking about this in the long run, basically? Or did they kind of get themselves into a pickle? I Honestly, I do think they were thinking about it in the long run because I feel like they wanted to pop a rating on Raw. It's the first title change they've had on Raw, or heavyweight title change they've had on Raw in a very, very long time. And I feel like that was the mindset, is we'll put it on Randy, then we'll get back to Drew McIntyre. Um, that's my guess of why they did this, because Raw ratings have been down quite a bit. Uh, I'm looking forward to the pay-per-view. I think that'll be a fun match between Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns. Uh, I hope it's better than their previous matches. But Roman's, with the new style, he's kind of working and the more aggressive heel Roman. And now that Drew McIntyre is more over and working as a babyface, I feel like it'll work better than when the roles were switched and Drew McIntyre was Shane McMahon's lackey. But yeah, if I had to take a wild guess on why they flipped the title the way they did, I would assume it's just to try to pop a rating on Raw. It's interesting, and we'll kind of go more into it later, but I think this if, if this match goes well, I think that Drew has shown a lot more in the ring as of lately, at least the more since his run in NXT. Um, and uh, this could be really a defining match for both of these guys, so hopefully they can pull pull that out. But Roman, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the contract signing. Roman has been on fucking fire as of lately. Just incredible. Yeah, I have to agree with you on that. I will say this is the perfect way if you're going to put the belt on Miz and have him cash in the money in the bank. To have these two guys murder each other in the center of the ring and Miz cash in, that could be the route they're going, even if he drops it at the next pay-per-view or something. But I could see them doing that. Just because it's been a while since someone cashed in the money in the bank and actually walked away with the title, right? When's the last time that happened? A long time. I see the thing is with Miz, though, I'm and it's such a stupid way to treat the damn money in the bank contract. I'm wondering if he's just going to get upset when he tries to cash in finally. I I hope not. But this, if you're going to do it, this would be the match to do it in because these two giant, these two giant guys killing each other in the center of the ring has shades of Brock versus Roman when Seth cashed in. Now, obviously, yep. the Miz isn't Seth, but it's the same kind of scenario where if you're going to have someone cash in that's not like a top guy or one of these monsters like Roman or um, or Drew, this would be the time to do it because you have a reason to do it. You can have these two guys murder each other for 15, 20 minutes, and then Miz gets a shit, chicken shit heel win. And like I said, he can always drop it back because, I mean, what we have Elimination Chamber coming up at some point, right? And yep. there'd be no escape for him in that cage. You can have him drop the title back, set up your match for Mania, whatever you want to do there. Um, and you also have, you know, I would assume that he would pin Drew McIntyre in that scenario. But if you go the opposite route and he pins um, 
Roman Reigns, the uh, rabid big dog, as I'm just going to start calling him, that would just be amazing to see Roman Reigns try to kill Miz each week. <laughs> so I think there's some interesting things they can do if they're going to go the money in the bank route. As long as, you know, we get to WrestleMania with both guys being involved with the title matches, as in Drew McIntyre and Roman Reigns, respectively, that's all I really care about. With Miz, if he can accomplish this, great, but uh, I feel like he'd be dumb and try to add himself to the, to the match in the middle of it and not have what Seth Rollins had and, you know, get taken out, basically, and, you know, they fight on. I just don't know. If they're going to have him, like I said, do what Seth did, get himself involved in the match, and then right towards the end, or if he's going to wait until the end of this match when both guys are down to come and cash it in, uh, a la Edge, basically. I think it would be great, and they won't do this, but if I'm just playing Fantasy Booker for a little bit, if he cashes in, pins Roman, gets the title, and then they set up a title match against him and Jay, and Jay wins the title... (laughs) We can go back to that feud. That would the, be uh, nuts. With the, within the tribe, maybe you bring Rock in as a special guest referee or Rikishi or someone. I think that would be really fun. Uh, I don't think they're going to do that, but that that would be the way I would do it, just because the feud between Jay and Roman has been one of the hottest things they have going. Even now that they're not technically feuding, the just that group in general is the best thing that they have going on either show. I agree, man. All right, let's move on uh, and start talking about the Wednesday shows, man. And uh, let's go over AEW Dynamite. All right. So AEW Dynamite started off with the Young Bucks um, in a non-title match against Top Flight. Uh, We heard about the story of Top Flight. They had a great video intro going into this. Uh, These guys are brothers, which is one of the reasons that the Young Bucks were attracted to trying to, you know, go against them, basically. 19... And 21 uh, young dudes, and uh, basically they messaged Matt on Twitter, and Matt gave him a chance by putting them on AEW Dark. They've been on there a couple times, and I have to say, I thought they stood up and had a good match, man, with uh, the Young Bucks. Uh, obviously, I, I like how Matt was talking about it on uh, BET, and he's like, he's like, I got a legit, he's like, I got a. Um, what the hell? Uh, a sh- no, no, a uh, a kayfabe injury with my right ankle, but I actually hurt. Like I have a shoot injury with my left knee, so that's why they've been or whatever they've been working on the opposite concept and opposite body part, like wrestlers usually do. But Matt's selling it throughout this. It's definitely something that's you know they're kind of using as a way to make it look like Top Flight um, was getting an advantage on them. And uh, just these guys are great, man. They they were really impressive. Um, I I hate to throw shade a bit at at a private party, but I've seen them evolve. They've gotten became a much better tag team. But for for guys that are even greener than them, I thought this was really impressive uh, with Top Flight. But at the end, uh, the Bucks set up a uh, another double team spot. However, when the first part of it backfired, Dante nearly steals a win with a backslide pin attempt out of nowhere. The Young Bucks end up getting Darius out of the picture, and they hit a double BTE trigger to score the pinfall and victory. And uh, afterwards, we had uh, basically uh, TH2 uh, come out and attack the Young Bucks while they were celebrating, and they came from the the crowd. They attacked Top Flight. The Young Bucks eventually exit the ring to make the save, 
and they ran them off. So it looks like we're going with Angelico and um, man, I can't remember the other gent's name. Um, Jack Evans. Yeah, Jack Evans. Jack Evans. Yeah. Uh, Jack Evans uh, next with the Young Bucks. So that should be interesting. Um, the last match we saw them in, I think, was with FTR. You know, I think that uh, a tag team like the Young Bucks will be able to do uh, a much better performance. So that should be interesting. But what do you think about Top Flight, man? Um, besides the fact that you know their 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 name for some reason makes me think of Top Gun, um, I thought they did pretty good, especially given their age. Yeah, I thought they were very impressive in this match. This is the first time I've seen them. Uh, like I said, as everyone knows who listens to the show, I don't really keep up with Dark uh, as much as I do just the primary show. I liked that they made a storyline on why they would get a match. They showed us a highlight package. They said, you know, they showed they sent this to Matt, and Matt said, hey, these guys look good. Let's give them a match. I like they at least gave us a reason the match was happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, and the match itself I thought was pretty good. I, I like that you drew a conclusion to Private Party there because to me it's 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 sometimes like Private Party swims out of their depth or they try to do too much. This to me was just like the right amount of shit. Private Party, I think they when they start getting into too much of their double team moves, that's when their stuff gets a little sloppy. But uh, overall, I mean, I was impressed by these guys. I look forward to seeing more of them. I don't know that I give a shit about Angelico and Jack Evans having a title match. I'm assuming that they have a bunch of wins on Dark, but last time I saw them, they botched <laughs> they botched this terrible-looking moonsault and almost killed a guy, and uh, they haven't been on the main product outside of that loss that I can think of. Yeah, so I guess it's just a guess from point A to point B. I'm wondering. I'm still wondering when FTR is going to jump back in the picture because obviously that's not done. Um, I don't know. We'll have to find out. Let's go into the first Hangover segment uh, with the Inner Circle as they go to Las Vegas. Um, just a. It, it was it was hilarious. They had like a Reservoir Dogs like walking down the street, slow motion shot of them. Uh, I think that. I think that a lot of the stuff that they did was hilarious. I love the the part where, um, you know, they're playing blackjack and just MJF is just talking shit to Sammy Guevara the whole entire time. And then him kissing up to Chris Jericho by calling him late champion. Them trying to outshot each other by going from moonshine to green alcohol, Everclear, and just getting uh, messed up and uh, their stumble out. And we would uh, cut in half to the to be be continued for the next part. So uh, thought thought it was interesting, Chris. Uh, the second half's definitely more funny, but this was a good way to set it up. I, I think that that was the part also where Sammy told uh, MJF quite a few times that he hated him, and they both laughed at it. That was a uh, that was pretty funny. What'd you think? It's the first segment, the one where they were on the rooftop, and Sammy no, tried to second. Okay. All right. Never mind. <laughs> that... uh, <laughs> this I, I will say this. This is entertaining. And when we get to the second part, I guess I'll complain a little bit more. I, I, I didn't see any kind of build out of it. Like, no idea of where they're going from there. But it was entertaining. If you like The Hangover, you'll like this, I guess. I, I thought it was funny, but I liked The Hangover. It's very, very much that. 
That's it's that's exactly what they were going for. All right, so we had a segment that uh, kind of showed a preview to a new documentary called Boundless, The History of Revolution. And uh, JR was talking about it, and basically it's a history of AEW and it coming to dynamite. My question to you, Chris, is do they really need a biography at this point? Like, shouldn't they kind of wait to be a fucking organization for a couple of years? Like, is this just patting themselves on the back? Because that seems like something WWE would do. That's what I was going to say. It's hard to say because WWE makes a documentary about anything. It's like Bailey got new shoes. All right. Do we need a 24 on this? I don't know. I, if I was going to do a buy, if I was going to do a biography about AEW at this point, I think I would just start with all in and how that came together and tell that story first. And then, you know, a couple years from now, if you want to go the route of, of doing a full documentary about the entire company, it makes a little more sense. But giving the backstory about maybe coming out of All In, uh, what Tony Khan's affiliation with wrestling, how the how the company basically got started in itself would make for an interesting documentary, I think, if we get some more behind-the-scenes stuff that maybe we don't know. Um, like if Kenny Omega goes into detail about what that contract actually looks like that he was offered and the Young Bucks were offered <laughs> from WWE. Like, there's stuff they can definitely say. Unless there's like you know non-disclosure agreements or NDAs, I should say. Uh, I don't. I would watch it. I hopefully they just put it out for free. If they put it out for free and it just comes on like after AEW one night, I'm sure a lot of people will watch it. Yeah, it's interesting. I'll definitely check it out. But like you said, I mean, I'm not paying for it, and there are fans that will pay for that. So it's going to be interesting to see which way they go. So here's a funny thing. Uh, John Moxley had an interview, and uh, it was um, a video segment uh, from John Moxley when. Okay, what? Sorry. So the so John Moxley is shown seated in the hallway somewhere with cool red and purple lighting on each side of him as he sits facing a camera in a black leather jacket, complete with his AEW World Heavyweight Champion by his size. He talks about the crazy journey in the past 18 years and what he's had to do and, and, and go through. Hey, I, I just want to know, is this the same like closet area that Tommaso Ciampa and Aleister Black hang out in anyways? Um, but uh, <laughs> I think that and, and Excalibur exclaimed this afterwards about burying the lead. He just, you know, casually talks about his life now and how he's got a pregnant wife at home. And congratulations to Renee. I thought it was funny, her Twitter response of, of, of course, her husband, John Moxley, is just going to barely briefly bring this up, you know, <laughs> in a promo, just scratching the surface, uh, like, like Excalibur said, burying the lead. And then she follows up on Twitter and is like, wow, now I can finally start complaining to you guys how my boobs hurt. So uh, they are adorable. I love them <laughs> as a couple. And I'm very happy for John Moxley. And Renee Young, um, you know, I think Roman had twins. I don't know if one of them were a boy. If, if this happens, I think we could have a Shield uh, Junior uh, crew coming out. Uh, you know, twenty years from now. Uh, what do you think about this segment and the fact that John Moxley just kind of like blurted that out real quick? This wasn't one of John Moxley's best promos, but it was funny that he just blurted that out. I think it was fine setting up the match with Omega. Obviously, it leads to later in the night with the contract. That, well, 
one person signing a contract, I should say. But uh, Renee Young is, or is it Renee Paquette, I guess, is her actual name. Yep. Not her WWE gimmick name. Renee Paquette I guess is... I think it's Renee Good, technically, because that's uh, Moxley's real last name. Okay. So, either way, that I think that's... I just don't want to upset her by calling her her WWE gimmick name if she's pissed about that. But, anyways... Uh, I think that's very funny, and I can't wait until they start doing Moxley and Renee's reality TV show on TNT at some point. <laughs> I'd watch it. <laughs> I mean, hell, I watch Total Total Divas and Total Bellas at this point with my wife, so we might as well just add one more to the mix, right? Can it be? Can it be like a, 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 a reality TV version of like Married with Children? Because I feel like I feel like you would be like Ted Bundy. <laughs> Do you remember, like, he was on Total Divas, they were on Total Divas for a little bit, and there's this great one where Moxley just gets pissed at this guy, because he says something asshole-ish, and Moxley jumps over <laughs> jumps over this little fence where they were eating, and chases the guy down and steals his fedora. <laughs> <laughs> no! <laughs> I did not see that episode. Okay. I feel like Moxley would be like, I don't want to be a part of this. I'm sorry, Renee. I don't want to fucking do this. <laughs> it was really funny. That's kind of how he was on that show. They were not uh, there for a long time, as far as that that goes. But that would be very interesting seeing, because you're going to get the exact opposite of what you're going to see on Total Bellas with their kids. Uh, I'm assuming with Renee and Moxley, who are just naturally funny. Uh, I would watch that. I think that would be entertaining. Congratulations to them, by the way, from us at Wrestling Geeks Alliance and uh, Geek Vibes Nation. Yeah, and also, I, I, I mean, we'll kind of get to it with him taking a break uh, with his last match at SmackDown. But also, I love seeing those pictures of the, uh, you know, the pregnancy pictures of Becky Lynch with Seth. I know she's about to pop, but, uh, you know, like I said, the Shields are having babies, man. They're just popping out kids. They want to have like a, a, a mini Shield in the future. Yeah, it's going to be hilarious if they all show up to pre-K together wearing the Shield gimmicks. Oh, God. All right. So let's move on. Uh, Next match we had was, I would say, and I think Dave Metzler was the one who brought this up. I think this was one of the better, uh, like, straight wrestling matches that Orange Cassidy's had against Kip Sabian. But, you know, you can say what you want about him being built up. Kip's pretty damn good as far as a fast, agile wrestler in the ring. And, of course, Orange Cassidy kind of pulled the same shit that he normally does at first, but it got, you know, it got, it went right into motion very quickly after that, and they ended up having a pretty good competitive match. We had the best man, Miro. Uh, he was on uh, commentary and just talking uh, about Kip, talking him up, not crashing, you know, doing the smart heel thing, which is always... And Taz does this. Sometimes I think he does it a little bit too much because he starts being a commentator and that takes over his focus. But, you know, putting over the adversary of the person because, you know, what the hell's the point of Kip Sabian beating Orange Cassidy if Miro's talking about how terrible he is? So he definitely went, bordered that line. Um, towards the end of the match, uh, Sabian is taken back. Uh, over control of offensive uh, momentum in the bout. However, Freshly Squeeze is still showing signs of life as he starts to begin his fired-up comeback. He eventually hits a nice diving DDT on Sabian for a near fall. However, Kip somehow survives. Kip ends up decking Orange with a couple big shots. 
for a close near fall of his own. Ultimately, Cassidy finish, finishes uh, Sabian off with the mousetrap for the win. And as soon as that happened, uh, Miro ran into the ring. Um, he jumps in the ring and immediately takes out Cassidy with a huge clothesline. He starts uh, a post-match beatdown on Cassidy until eventually the best friends make the uh, save. And uh, yeah, that was that was about it. So we're not done with this. We're going to be fighting over that arcade unit <sighs> still uh, eventually in the future. But um, pretty good stuff. Like I said, you know, this is a cruiserweight match, if you will, but it was fast-paced. Uh, and uh, Orange Cassidy, I think, is getting better and better every time I see him. Uh, what do you think, Chris? I I don't know that I would say that this was Orange Cassidy's best match, but it was a really good match, and I like that he is taking the character a little more serious. I do want him to continue to keep a little bit of his goofiness just because that's what got him over to begin with. So I think the amount he used in this match, if we're just talking about he didn't overdo it, I think this is probably the perfect amount of the character you need to see if he's having a serious match. Um I look forward to this tag match. I think it'll be pretty good. There was one spot in the match where Kip Sabian went for a springboard and just kind of slipped. That looked very awkward. And I've seen him hit that move like a bazillion times. So I'm not sure what happened there. But outside of that, everything else in the match was was good. I don't like the mousetrap as a finish. Like having a pin as a finish, I've never been a huge fan of. (laughs) Um not not like you know it like that's like having your finisher be a schoolboy to some extent <laughs> like that's some yeah. annoying shit i would have done on like smackdown when i create a pro wrestler <laughs> for no reason uh but yeah like outside of that i mean the beatdown was fine i thought mira was pretty good on commentary actually he showed more personality here on commentary than he has on any of the promos he's had thus far them going against I, the best friends i'm you know, should be a good match. Yeah, I agree. Um, all right. So next thing was the contract signing that did not happen. <laughs> so we had the Dapper Yapper himself, Tony Schiavone in the ring. And he calls out the challenger, Kenny Omega. Kenny gets his huge, you know, entrance. He actually refers to him as the cleaner this time, which was noted by a lot of fucking fans. So, um, Comes to the ring with the girl sweeping, all the accolades that he has that he keeps on adding. I found out that the North Carolina comment is actually a throwback to uh, what they used to do with um, uh, Michael Jordan. That's where Kenny got that from. So he doesn't really have a friend in North Carolina or blah, 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 blah. Or he, you know, when he had a match in North Carolina, that's where that comes from. It's just like an homage to his favorite basketball player and the greatest basketball player of all time. Come at me. Daniel's 42. Um... But, uh, yeah, this was uh, interesting because John Moxley wasn't there. And we cut to a camera, and someone beat the hell out of John Moxley. He was uh, bleeding, and uh, Kenny played it off like, you know, he was basically, he, he was too good to make it down there. He didn't give a shit about what the hell happened to Moxley. Definitely, definitely showing more heel side to him again. Um, and we are left to wonder what happened to John. What Did Kenny attack him from behind? Was it someone else? that Kenny put, you know, put it up to? Was it someone completely different? Like, what exactly happened to Moxley? Maybe it was Eddie Kingston, but it seems like they're going with Pac and Kingston now, so that wouldn't make much sense. But uh, Kenny signed the contract, and he basically kind of, like, you know, alluded uh, when Moxley has time after getting hit in the head 
if he could find time to sign this contract. He's already got his signature on there. So interesting way to go about it. Chris, big question. Who the hell hit John Moxley? So Kenny Omega's promo here is the best promo he's had in AEW. Uh, I love the funny comment about him complaining about uh, staff infection elbow. And then, like, as Moxley's being carried off on a backboard, he's like, he just has a bloody nose. I thought that was pretty fucking funny. As far as who attacked Moxley, I think it's Lance Archer. Honestly, I think we're going to get back to that. Um, but if, if I just for the rest of the segment, one of the favorite things is how long Kenny took to sign the damn contract. Like the pin wasn't working. Then he like shakes it. Then he does like this giant circle motion to try to get it started. And then he writes like Kenny Omega and then starts writing all of his accolades next to it. And then (laughs) draws a smiley face, (laughs) which is fucking great. So I I like this version of Kenny. I think maybe it's almost seeming like he held off for a year before he wanted to move to the top of the company, which maybe maybe that's what he was doing, because this is more in line of what I would expect out of the best bout machine as of late uh, with that match with hangman and this match coming up with obviously with Moxley, I, I think this is a, a good time for, for him to start turning that on even more. I like that. He immediately added the hall of fame thing to his entrance. <laughs> <laughs> like the I next day. <laughs> um, I didn't know that about the North Carolina thing. That's, that's hilarious. I, I, now I just kind of wish he would come out to the Alan Parsons project, <laughs> which just doubled down on it. Uh, but yeah, that's, I like this version of Kenny Omega. I think Lance Archer attacked, uh, attacked Moxley. I don't know who, who do you think attacked Moxley? I don't, I, like you said, I don't think it's Kingston. I think Kingston kind of knows he has to respect. I mean, he almost got killed by Moxley at the pay-per-view. So to me, it doesn't seem like it would be him, especially like you said, with Pac and, uh, Pack and Kingston seemingly headed towards a feud. Well, I will say that also just, just side note. Uh, I like Kenny Omega dressing like this more so than coming out in t-shirt and fucking shorts. This is who I want to see, especially if he becomes champion, kind of get a little bit of that more Ric Flair regal, you know, button up sunglasses, that type of look going on with the whole cleaner concept. Um, but as far as who hit him, if it wasn't Kenny, which is very obvious, you know, I love your idea of Lance Archer. If I'm the 100% fancy book it, it was Kenta. And that's setting up for their match coming up at, um, whatchamacallit, Wrestle Kingdom, where they'll extend this for a while. We'll find out that Kenny had nothing to do with it. And then after Moxley loses the title, maybe a week or two later, Kenta will attack him again and say it was me uh, to set up that match more. But that's also... Dealing with the concept that New Japan and AEW would work together like that, but that is that needs to be addressed sometime soon, I would say. Yeah, that would I mean that would be great. I don't I'm I mean that's a great that's a great booking scenario for sure. I just don't I mean the whole talent trade thing is still up in the air. I, I for some reason the fact that just Lance Archer's been having promos and not actually matches as of late. It just seems like they're feeding him back into that title picture to me. And this would be a way to get him there. Maybe if he just continues to demolish Moxley. Because like we've talked about, we talked about last week, I believe, 
the belt's coming off Moxley before he goes to Japan. I think it has to. And maybe, maybe I just really hope it's Minoru Suzuki because I want that more than anything. But I don't think that's going <laughs> to so. Or Nick Gage. How about that one? <laughs> <laughs> Nick Gage was in that battle royal they had, right, recently? No, he he was supposed to. And then uh, travel restrictions cut him off, so they got Matt Seidel to be the last person. But he was supposed to be the last person in that. That makes me a little sad. At some point, we do need the crazy Moxley-Nick Gage match in the future. And that one definitely can have all the plunder you fucking want. I don't think anyone would want it to be just a normal brawl. Like you put him through a, a flaming table with barbed wire and thumbtacks on top of it and then hit him with a baseball bat, you know, whatever. <laughs> if you ever get Pains a chance, glass. if you ever get a chance, Dane, watch the, uh, the match with Brian Alvarez and, um, Filthy Tom Lawler versus Nick Gage. I can't remember who Gage's partner was, but Alvarez literally running away from Nick Gage is fucking hilarious. <laughs> Chicken shit. Yeah, totally. Like just immediately getting out of the ring, trying not to uh, to do anything. There's one part where he hits a super kick, and Nick Gage just looks at him like he's fucking stupid. <laughs> it's pretty great. All right. Well, all right, so we got the uh, the last part of the inner circle uh, going to Las Vegas, the hangover-style concept. I think I mixed up a little bit because there was a part in the previous one where, you know, you, you have the, the two of them, MJF and Y2J, just completely obliterated, and they're not dealing with the grain alcohol well. And uh, Ortiz and Santana were like, hey, let's take this to the next uh, level. And who joins them but their old manager? Uh, one of the top promoters in MLW, uh, uh, the top promoter over in AAA, Conan, a.k.a. K-Dog, which was an awesome addition. Uh, they, they, they go into the uh, limo. They, when they come to the next place, they all come out like they're all glazed over. And uh, Chris Jericho saw a dragon, and he was kind of freaking out. And Conan's like, he was freaking out too, and it ended up being a guy dressed up like a dragon. They became friends with some random Elvis impersonator throughout the midst of it, so he was with them. And uh, the next part would have them at the top of a roof and kind of spoofing where MJF's kind of doing the whole, like, you know, wolf wolf pack thing uh, like that happened in the uh, Hangover. And Sammy decides that they should all be blood brothers and has a giant blade and he's about to cut his hand open. And now everyone's like, whoa, 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 calm the fuck down, chill out. Uh, I loved also the little detail that Wardlow and Jack Hager the whole entire time would not stop staring at each other, just like pissed off. So you have that still brewing. Uh, They beat the crap out of people at one of the uh, casinos they were at. Uh, And the next morning, the morning after, uh, Jericho, I think, I don't remember where Jericho, oh, Jericho woke up in the bed next to the Elvis impersonator. He's going around. Uh, For some reason, Ortiz is that motherfucker who's up you know, right at the beginning of the morning, working out. Uh, Sammy Guevara found out that he had three wives uh, from rings on his hand. So that's good. And um, I think MJF said to him, like, I've always wanted to be uh, friends with a Mormon. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so MJF was in the bathtub. Uh, and, you know, you have the main thing from the hangover happening. Oh, Santana was downstairs feeding chickens in the hotel while Chris Jericho was trying to find uh, MJF's suite. And MJF and Chris Jericho, when they're together, they hear some crying, uh, and they open up <laughs> they open up a closet door to Hornswoggle in a diaper. 
And uh, yeah, that, that closed out the segment. So funniness, <laughs> this is going uh, somewhere. Uh, but this was just to, like, I guess to associate that they're all on the same page when we know that that's not going to be what happens inevitably. But uh, as far as funny segments involved with Chris Jericho and MJF, this was definitely, to me, the best one and the most entertaining. have to agree with you there. This was the most entertaining. If they have a follow-up next week that actually tells me where the story's going, I'll be completely fine with it. This just didn't really... To me, it didn't take anything any further as far as where they're going with the storyline, but it was entertaining, so I can't crap on it. Um, my favorite part of the entire thing, outside of Sammy with that giant knife for no reason, uh, was when Sammy Guevara woke up in the hotel fountain and he pulled himself up by the statue boob. That was, <laughs> was pretty was pretty good. Um, it's worth a watch. It's It was entertaining. I'm not huge on these segments for the most part. But this one was one of the better ones. And, and like I said, if you like The Hangover, you'll probably like this. If you don't like The Hangover and you think that that idea is dumb, then you're probably going to hate this. My hope that's not going to happen, Chris, with this is just, wouldn't it be great if technically he didn't have to be necessarily a member of the inner circle, but since he associated with them, if we could have Conan start managing LAX and start taking them seriously as a tag team again. Well, if the inner circle implodes, I would assume, you know, I don't think those guys are splitting into singles, so that would be a great manager to bring in. I, I would be they're, completely They were fine perfect together in Impact. Yeah, and Conan's been great as a manager, even going back to the early days of TNA when he was with K. Uh, I almost called him K-Dog. Uh, K-Quick, uh, R-Truth, Ron Killings, and uh, Road Dog. That that little tag team that they had going, I forgot the the name of it, was pretty good. I mean, anything Conan's managed has been pretty good. When he was doing LAX or when he was working that little bit of a program with Alberto Del Patron, I, he's just, he's really, I think he might actually be better as a manager than he ever was as a wrestler. <laughs> Which, I that's saying a lot because I, I don't know, I know that he was really, really looked highly upon in the early 90s when he came over and did the Max Moon gimmick in WWF. But before that in Mexico, I know he was a huge deal and he always has been there. But uh, I only really know his career from WCW <laughs> and yep. the little bit he worked in TNA. And to me, he's always been a better manager. Wolfpack, filthy animals, bro. I love his finisher name, though. Tequila Sunrise is a finisher name. When I was a kid, I thought that was like the coolest shit ever. I love Conan. All right, uh, so the next match we had this this uh, this buildup to Pac coming back, and Pac had to go against the Blade. We had Eddie Kingston on commentary just laying into JR. There was a line where JR said, you have a very, very colorful bunch. You know, and he, obviously it was associated completely different than the way Eddie Kingston threw it back at him. But Kingston was like, yeah, yeah, it's 2020, JR. You know, that's – he's like, I didn't say it was a bad thing. Like, you know, just – Eddie Kingston is so money, and really, when you and this is Bubba Ray Dudley put this in my head, but you had this match, and then you had the match where Taz came on commentary. Their personalities, and it's not just because they're New Yorkers; they're so fucking similar, especially when they're being the heel within commentary. Uh, but you know, the match was not bad at all. You had the Blade, who was still friggin' bashed open from the match previously last week, and. Uh, there was parts where he was getting the advantage on Pac, but finally, uh, towards the end, uh, Pac won. 
basically, the bunny was outside the ring and tried to do some interference. JR called her a Jezebel, which Eddie Kingston was not happy about. We see the Blade pull ahead and take over the offensive control of the contest. As the match settles into the finish, we see the Bastard uh, start to fire up with a big comeback, which accumulates with him uh, hitting a shooting star press into the Brutalizer, prompting the, the uh, tap from the Blade and giving him the victory in his first match back in months for AEW. And the fact that Pac had a lot of ring rust going into this, still an incredible in-ring performer. I thought that he did good. There was a little bit... I know that uh, Braxton Sutters has been in wrestling for a while, the Blade, but there was a couple times where it's like, God, he kept on like not hitting almost completely or being so far away from Pac's hits that there were just no connection, and it was, you could tell it was on him. Uh, but other than that, I thought it was a good display of Pack. Afterwards, we had Eddie Kingston come down, uh, start a beatdown. Um, you know, obviously the butcher who was already cra- causing problems outside with Pack uh, throughout the match came in. They all started beating down on him. Phoenix came in for the save, ran in just punching people, just trying to annihilate Kingston. They got the better of him. And who enters? A Pentagon who comes out with a chair. It looks like he's going to assault his brother and then actually goes after Eddie Kingston. So now we have the Dark Triangle back and like 50 million fucking uh, different factions. They have more factions on AEW than New Japan had about two years ago. It's gotten to that point where we just have a million of them. <laughs> um, so and it's, it's not bad. This will be a good fight between the two teams. Um, and I don't want Pentagon or Phoenix really as heels. They're better baby faces. So if this, you know, sets them up to be all solo guys working together um, as baby faces, even Pac, Pac, he's 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 like Tommaso Ciampa in a way where it's going to be hard for people to dislike him anymore. You know, even if he acts like a bastard, he's still, you know, we like him. We we've we've liked him since he was the fucking king of cruiserweights and he was a complete heel back then. So I'm glad to have him back. I like this stuff. I think this should be a good rivalry. There's way too many fucking factions in AEW. What do you think about this match in the aftermath, Chris? I loved this match. If you told me pack had ring rust, I didn't see it for sure. So like, that's how incredible this guy is. They, his, that damn black arrow or, red arrow or whatever it is he calls it now is still phenomenal i've seen it like a hundred times but every time he does it it's still like shock and dismay that someone can do that (laughs) like every time i see it my mind is fucking blown he did take a little bit more time with it but you know better to get it right than fuck up and hurt somebody i will agree with you there were some spots in the match uh, i don't remember if it was the butcher or the blade where there was just complete non-contact but i'm not gonna i think they did a good job of filming it so it didn't look bad for the most part, um, and working safe is never a bad thing, you know, so I, I'm not going to crap on it too hard. I like the outcome with Pentagon and Phoenix coming out in the Dark Triangle, basically being back together. Interesting stuff. Eddie Kingston is still a heel for a while, at least. I'm kind of surprised by that because they, I don't know, to me, they kind of booked him like a baby face coming out of that Moxley match. But, hey, you know what, if this is going to lead to some good matches between these guys, that, that should be great. Hopefully, Pentagon and Phoenix, they beat Butcher and the Blade and make a run for the tag titles. That would be great. They haven't held Absolutely. them yet. 
they've came close, but yep. they haven't held the titles yet. So that would be if you're going to put it on a tag team outside of FTR or the Young Bucks, I would say the Lucha Brothers are probably the most over of the remaining of your tag teams. Maybe the best friends. I don't know. It's a toss up in AEW. It's hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, there's definitely there's some good tag teams. Definitely in AEW. They got one heck of a uh, tag team division. And we'll have to find out. I'm just so impressed by Pac. He's been one of my favorites for a long time. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I've always, I've, I've, I've made comparisons. And in, in, as fans that have listened to us and Chris know, I like to make comparisons. But I've always kind of generally looked at Pac in a similar way to Macho Man Randy Savage. And what I mean by that is, you know, you start them both out. They're younger, but they're incredible in the ring right off the back. Uh, Babyface. You know, Macho was for his dad's promotion at the time. Uh, he goes to Tennessee. Obviously, we have Pac come to the Cruiserweight 205 Live, and they become great fucking heels. They bulk up, and their their strength is on the mic of being aggressive, coming off believable, you know, and you really wonder if they're kind of like a little bit off in real life, like a little bit off in the head uh, with the amount of aggression they push on. And then just going and excelling, um, you know, Pac's now in the big prominent organization that's out, kind of like how WWF was at the time compared to the NWA, AEW. I don't know if they're going to excel to that level compared to the WWE, but same type of concept. He's 34. Macho Man, when he became babyface and went for the title, he was 36. And I definitely could see Pac having that title in the next two years, so... You know, there's obviously, you could say, Jay Lethal because of his performance and tribute that he does. But I think in a lot of ways, especially on the concept, besides being a great in-ring wrestler, of towing the line, giving off that type of craziness demeanor, and it's believable enough where you're like, whoa, is this guy really fucking a little bit high-strung in real life? But uh, Pax, definitely one of my favorites, and I'm just glad to have him back in general. I See, my comparison would be Chris Benoit, if Chris Benoit could cut a promo. Because that's what I see out of the intensity he has in the ring. And if you add some aerial ability there, that would be the comparison I would draw. Which I know it's it's taboo to talk about Benoit. But um, just how everything he does is so crisp. His aggressiveness in the ring. And then you add in the fact that he can cut a promo. He's great. I wish he would drop the name Pack and just go by the bastard. Honestly. The bastard. Uh, because that is a cooler name than Pac or Pac. I like that Eddie Kingston kind of made note of that because he accidentally called him Pac at one time instead of Pac. And JR's like, you know, it's Pac, right? Or it was either Tony or JR. They were like, you know, it's Pac, right? He was like, I don't care how he pronounces his name. <laughs> that was awesome. Just no, I, I agree with you. But the, the thing about people with Chris Benoit, you're going to have to realize there's a lot of influence on modern wrestlers. Pac, Finn Balor, Fucking Davey Richards, some amazing Daniel Bryan, some amazing technical wrestlers were influenced by Chris Benoit. Um, I, that's just how it is. I mean, I don't, I don't know how the hell you can't get away from that. That's that's a he was his wrestling style was incredible. Yeah, and Meltzer talked about it a little bit with the fact that he's probably one of the best pure athletes in the business. Like if you look at, I think he drew a comparison to Ricochet as well but yep. the shit that they're able to do in the ring while just also being great technical wrestlers is no, yeah. very very fucking impressive it really it's, is it's on that level with phoenix kota Bushi. the stuff they can do with their bodies will osprey 
is absolutely just on another level. They're all in that same category to me. Um, it's it's just, a, it's embarrassing that WWF didn't figure or WWE didn't figure this out after having such a big run with Daniel Bryan being a smaller guy. If they couldn't look at Neville as King Neville and be like, this guy should actually be in the main event and not just part of the cruiserweight division, I, I don't know what to tell them. <laughs> like he he's great, and I could easily see him having the title, say a year, year and a half from now. Yeah. Well, we'll have to find out, but uh, I, I definitely see some good things happening for him in the future. And he works well as a as a babyface and a heel, so that's always a good thing. Oh, one follow up on something you brought up, which was Bully Ray talking about like drawing comparisons to Kingston and Taz. I think that's hilarious because the comparison I would draw is like him and Bully Ray, especially Bully Ray's Impact run, as far as how they cut promos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I could see that too. Yeah, you know, you're right. Um, I've always kind of had uh, Sammy Callahan uh, a lot similar to Bully, but Kingston does have Bully's demeanor when he's being that straight-off heel. That's uh, that's kind of funny. That's, uh, that's interesting. All right, so we had uh, we had to go to the back. Jade uh, Cargill was attacking Brandy Rhodes. We had Nyla Rose and Vicky Guerrero blocking off all the referees so that they, she couldn't do anything, and she pulmonized... Uh, Brandy's arm in the steel chair uh, until uh, Deeb and um, and uh, Big Swole came for the rescue. So um, I don't fucking know where this is going at all. Uh, but yeah, Jay, it's going to be a mixed or it's going to be fucking Cody and Brandy eventually against Jade and Shaquille O'Neal. I think that's exactly what's going to happen. You're right about that. What does it have to do with Nyla, though? Why is Nyla involved in this? There's another faction, I guess. I guess it's now Jade, Shaq, Nyla, and fucking Vicky. I don't know. And why do you have sh- <laughs> why do you have Shaq as a heel? <laughs> like you know, you know when I get, when I was trying to do my three free throws, man, I was a heel. <laughs> I mean, like Shaq seems like the nicest guy from yeah. like his reality TV show. I, I know he makes fun of people on the basketball thing, but to me, that's like part gimmick in itself. Like having him be a heel is just weird to me. I, I I feel like he's a pretty beloved figure. <laughs> I don't know that people are going to be like, man, I really hope that Cody beats up Shaq. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't even know what what's going on with that, but we'll have to wait and see. But I agree with you completely on Shaq being a heel. It's kind of a very, very weird concept. All right, so we had an awesome match. Fuck, man. These two put on incredible matches together. Uh, NWA Women's Championship match, Thunder Rosa and Serena Deeb. I mean, the biggest thing that, I mean, besides that this was just a really fantastic match between these two ladies, and they've had two before this, one on the primetime events uh, that NWA has been a part of, in which Thunder Rosa lost her title to Serena Deeb, and the one, obviously, on AEW Dynamite, the first within this. So I don't think this is finishing due to what happened. Obviously, Serena Deeb did not know uh, that... You know, while Rebel came out and was distracting the referee, we had uh, Britt Baker came out and attacked Thunder Rosa. Um, so it looks like that is setting up uh, after the match. Thunder Rosa is slow to recover, but she's going to exit. And <laughs> stupid, you know, and I love that Tony jumped on. It was like, how arrogant and cocky do you have to be to sit 
after you attack someone in the front row, you know, of the arena, because there's Britt Baker right outside. So what does Thunder Rosa do? She attacks the shit out of her and starts beating the crap out of her before people, you know, try to break them up. Uh, I think it was Jerry Lynn once again who's always thrown out like, Jerry, go go get the ladies and, and, and break up the fight. But um, I like this. I think that this is good for Britt Baker. Thunder Rosa, you know, they'll have a good match. Uh, Thunder Rosa will help out some of the things that Britt lacks in the ring. And Britt is a great character. Thunder Rosa is a great character. I can't believe, and this is another thing that I think Brian Alvarez said, like, I can't believe the amount of time Thunder Rosa has been in the business, which is not a long time, and how good she is. And Serena Deeb, I like the uh, the shout out to uh, to CM Punk trying to go for the go to sleep, and the fact that JR brought it up right away because obviously Deeb was the bald chick in the the Straight Edge Society, so that was a little uh, cool throwback. But both of these ladies are incredible in the ring. Uh, Deeb is still the champion. I don't. I think that when she realizes that there was some interference she didn't know about. That will be addressed because she's like a super baby face. But uh, I think that in the time, Thunder Rosa versus uh, Britt Baker could help out both ladies in a, in, a, uh, in a confrontation. The question is, who do you have to lose inevitably? But we'll find out. Uh, but great match. What do you think, Chris? I thought the match was good except for the finish. I, th- the reason I didn't like the finish is if you're going to have interference, that should lead to the finish. Like, instead, what happens is, like, Britt hits a neckbreaker, she throws her in the ring, then Thunder Rosa makes a comeback, and then she loses the match. Like, to me, that was weird. I mean, I guess it was to protect Deeb so she didn't come off looking like a heel. But if she was oblivious to the attack and then just hit her finish, you know, afterwards and won the match, that, that to me would make more sense. But that's nitpicking. Match is yeah. fine. I look forward to... uh Thunder Rosa versus Britt Baker. I feel like Thunder Rosa will get a really good match out of Britt Baker, which I don't think we've seen yet. Like, think, like can you think of a really good Britt Baker match? The only one that comes to mind is that all-in four-way match with her, Kylie Ray, Madison Rain, and uh, Tessa. But that was four of them wrestling. So, but she did really well in that. But yeah, that's that's the only one that I can say was a really good wrestling performance from her. Yeah. Well, I was thinking just more on. Just more in a, I guess that's technically AW, but yeah, like, so this could be, you know, her coming out party. Uh, I guess the question would be is, do you have Thunder Rosa lose and is she signed to AW? Because if she's not signed to AW, it would make sense that Burt Baker would win that match. Yeah. I would assume so. Now, if Thunder Rosa is signed, she should fucking win that match. I mean, I like Britt Baker and all, but I don't know that you would sacrifice Thunder Rosa for Britt Baker when Thunder Rosa's probably, I don't know. She's really over with the fans, and she's really good in the ring. I would probably push her towards your women's championship if she is actually signed to AEW, which is still up in the air. We don't know about that yet. So, and just in comparison, I, I sent you that, that picture, and it was, you know, the the boyfriend that looks behind at the other girl while his girlfriend's looking at him like, what the hell? But it was Tony Khan with the, uh, the AEW women's championship looking at the NWA championship going by. This kind of has something to do with it. There is no offense to Anna Jay, but the next segment was basically, uh, John Silver putting her over and announcing that she's going to be going against Hikaru Shida for the championship next week. And I don't have a problem with Anna Jay. I think she is, she's young, she's new. She's getting, she's finding her pace in the ring. But when you have 
a a championship. I forgot the rest, the Russian girl that was really good uh, that won against Deeb, but she's involved in that. You know, you have Deeb involved with that, obviously, as the champion of the NWA Women's Championship. You have uh, Thunder Rosa. You know, I don't know if Britt Baker's really putting herself in the mix, but she's, you know, interacting with one of them, and she's honestly one of the top AEW females, I would say. So this is just another thing where it looks like the NWA Women's Championship is a bigger deal than the AEW Women's Championship. Am I wrong about that? No, I agree with you. I mean, we've talked about it the past two shows that what they've told us thus far is that the NWA women's championship is the women's championship. This other one is just a TV belt apparently, or well, I would, I can't even call it a TV belt cause they never defended on TV. Um, also, I don't necessarily like the way they had Sheeta beat Nyla Rose because they're trying to book her like Oscar, but she's not killing people each week on TV. So it doesn't really work. And also she's not Oscar. No, <laughs> you know, like her, she does good. What you should yeah. do is have her have a match with Serena Deeb. <laughs> you, you know, like have her have a match with Thunder Rosa. If you're trying to build up stock in your own title, and some of that may be that Billy Corgan's like, I don't want my champion losing to your champion because that's bad for my title. Which is so smart on him because that's what I I would probably say the same thing. Um, but yeah, the NWA Women's Division looks so much stronger than the AEW women's division. And it's the way that they're putting these matches on. Yep. I I completely agree. Stronger wrestling matches, stronger looking competitors, uh, at least, and not only just stronger looking competitors as far as the wrestling skills, but it looks like, I mean, Thunder Rose is a better character. Um, Serena Deeb's a great baby face. Like it's, I just kind of get bored outside of Nyla Rose and Britt Baker, I get bored of most of the women's division. They're very, very one-dimensional with I, AEW. I, and and I, I said this previously, but I do think that they need to, uh, since travel is starting to be allowed again, they need to start pulling people back from stardom. Yep. And there, there's one person that comes to mind that I don't think is currently signed to stardom that they should try to go after if she's willing to do it, which would be Carrie Zane or Carrie Hojo. Yeah, absolutely. I think that would be a good get and they really like, you know, they got some, they got some, they got some good female wrestlers in AEW. A lot of them are still young and pretty green. Um, but bringing in back, bringing back like Emmy Sakura and um, maybe doing more with Leva Bates doing, I, I don't know. That's, I feel like they, I'm glad you brought that up. I always thought Leva Bates, like the stuff I saw from her in NXT when she was blue pants, she was a good wrestler. Why have they not had her wrestling at all? Is there an injury that we don't know about? Not that I'm aware of. They just, Tony Khan wanted to try that librarian gimmick that failed (laughs) really hard, Um, but they broke up. So I don't know. Maybe she's been on dark and I just haven't seen it, but. They need to they need to start building that roster. If anything, stop signing all of these male wrestlers. You don't have anything to do, or that they that don't have anything to do, and and really try to bolster your women's division. I'm not saying go out and get Tessa Blanchard, but I'm kind of saying go out and get Tessa Blanchard. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, or at least start bringing people back from stardom. If Neville can come back, or or Pack, or the Bastard can come back at this point, I would assume you should have a way to get some of the stardom performers you've had before. For instance, Riho, uh, who should have a title rematch 
that's one person you could bring back. And like I said, I mean, the big one to me, the one that that should be on your list of people to try to get if they're not already trying to get would be Kerry Hojo. For sure. Kerry Hojo. Uh, Marty Bell just left the NWA. She's great. Um, I know the whole Tessa Blanchard also kind of goes against someone else. I think that they might be trying to get an Allison K because they fucking hate each other. So, But there are a lot of women... You know, I would say Session Moth, but she signed a Ring of Honor. Um, but there are a lot of women they can go ahead and bring into this uh, that would be very smart um, to bolster their 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 uh, their women's roster. Session Moth fits so much better on AEW than she does Ring of Honor. Because... Yeah, especially now because of the new presentation, she's kind of weird in it. Yeah, I mean that her character is. I, I'm not going to say it's similar to... I, it's the same level of goofiness as, as Orange Cassidy. Yep. So, like, she would be a good get for AEW as someone that you can have, you know, win a couple matches and then, you know, lose to your stronger competition and put there. Uh, I'm a huge Session Moth fan. Her Obviously, her stuff is a bit goofy, but there's a lot of stuff in AEW that's a bit goofy. She would be fine as, like, a mid-card women's wrestler. Like, there's so many people they could bring in, but right now, if you ask me to name side of the NWA female wrestlers, if you ask me to name who the top performers are in the women's division in AEW, I don't know that I'd have an answer for you outside of Sheeta. It's very true. Very, very true. Um, let's move on to the last match, but I agree with you. I'm, I'm hoping that they address this. Tony Khan has at least admitted that he is trying to work out the kinks uh, within the women's division. He knows that that's something that fans have a problem with. And instead of being a dickbag like Vince and trying to go against the grain, he's actually realizing a lot of these criticisms. Us with the rating system not really being as adequate as he'd like to be. He's trying to get that in order. But uh, at least he realized some of the faults like the women's division, like the rating system. And he's willing to try to address it and change it. And Cody's been the same way vocally about it. So we'll have to find out what they do. It's just you can have a great women's division, but still the whole thing that we're talking about. If the NWA world title, women's world title, looks higher than your actual title, that's not good. Regardless if you have a huge women's uh, roster. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say the one good thing for him ratings-wise is that they've had good women's wrestling matches by bringing in the people from the NWA. But that... That just points to a problem with your roster. And and like you said, it seems like he's trying to address it. I think it's easily addressed if you start bringing in talent from stardom. Which yep. is what Kenny was Steve trying Priestley, to do to begin with. Riho, Amy Sakura, Kerry Hojo. There's plenty. And, and you know what? Give them a mouthpiece. Shit, put one of them in Taz's group. Bring yeah. in Amy Sakura and... Or not Amy Sakura, but like, you know... I don't, I don't know who you could bring in. Like, wh wh what are they doing with Aja Kong? Where's Awesome Kong? I thought we were going to get that match. We never got that match. Like, do and some... Now awesome Kong doesn't have uh, anything competing with it since her show, unfortunately, canceled. Yeah. I, well, I was worried that show was going to go longer than Glow, actually, as a company went. <laughs> so... <laughs> oh! All right, all right. Shots fired. Shots fired. Main event, Ricky Starks and Brian Cage versus Cody and Darby Allen. Like I said, Taz uh, joined commentary. Uh, this is a pretty good match, man. Uh, 
if you like Darby Allen and Cody, you're going to like this match, I would say. Uh, you know, just hard-hitting. But um, the winners end up being Brian Cage and Ricky Starks with, I would not have pinned Darby Allen since he's your champion. I would have pinned Cody. I think he could take a pin because it is good that Brian Cage and Ricky get this win because they kind of need it. And afterwards, we would have the aftermath where basically we didn't see this coming. Bull Hobbs comes in. He's always been there right at the end. He's got the chair. He's going to, what we think happened, of take out uh, Brian Cage and Taz. But he's never made contact. Well, instead, he waits for Cody to get up, takes the FTW belt, smashes Cody in the face, and, and turns heel. And even though Cody has six million fucking people escort him to the ring most of the damn time, none of them, once again, are there to help him as he gets his ass kicked. That's one of my big problems. But I think this was good, like I said, for Cage, Ricky Starks, Taz, to give him credibility, even though they've had their... Their, their, you know, stack up on, on their rating system by wins on dark. When it comes to dynamite, they've always looked, you know, kind of second rate. So this probably helped them. And it is interesting to put Will Hobbs now in the mix, who's apparently been in bed with Taz's organization this whole entire time. So, or at least until since Taz uh, put the offer out there, don't really know where this is going. I always say this. I wish Brian Cage was positioned better. Uh, you know, with Taz as a mouthpiece, that's good. I wish that they kind of tried to do like a Paul Heyman, Brock Lesnar thing with him. But he's kind of just now, whatever, tossed his side a bit. So maybe this can finally get him to a certain level. But, um, yeah, I don't know if I would have made this the ending, honestly. Uh, but this was interesting. But we also, in the same show, we had a, a similar situation. Babyface did it, and now the heel did it, where, you know, we didn't know where Pentagon was, and then he ended up helping out his brother and screwing over Kingston, and we don't didn't know where Will Hobbs was, and then he ended up screwing over Cody and, and, and Darby Allen. so it was like the heel version to it. But uh, interesting AEW, I would say it was pretty good, pretty solid. The ending was a little bit weak, uh, but that's because, honestly, even though it's good that they got those wins... Taz's group has not looked that mainstream, I would say. Uh, so that might have been the reason why, to me, it just kind of was flat. Um, but I don't know. Like I said, I'm st this is good for them, but it was kind of at the expense of uh, the ending segment being a little bit dry. Uh, am I being too harsh on that, Chris? No, I don't think you're being too harsh on it. The only thing, the only outcome, the only thing I liked about the outcome of what happened throughout everything you were talking about is the possible idea of Brian Cage and Will Hobbs being a tag team. Because they don't have just a big giant tag team, like a Road Warriors type tag team. And having them just awesome. Yeah, just having them run fucking rough shot over the rest of the tag division till they get to the Young Bucks. I mean, I think that would be an incredible match. A lot of fun to watch and it gives you something different than what we see, you know, each week. Because a lot of the tag division, they're not like they're not all small guys, but they're not the size of Will Hobbs and Brian Cage. So you could easily position that whether they're going against FTR or the Young Bucks or Pentagon and Phoenix. There's a lot of good matchups there. If they're making them a tag team, I'm completely fine with that. I think that would be awesome. Um, I'm with you. I don't know that I would have Darby take a pin. It seems like they're setting up him versus Starks again, which. I, as everyone knows who listens to the show, I'm not a huge Ricky Starks fan. Should be a good match. 
Uh, Cody, didn't Orn throw a chair in the ring out of frustration at one point in this match? Yeah, he did. I like the tease of that, where Orn is starting to get frustrated with Cody not taking this shit seriously. Because I don't know what that leads to, but anytime Arn is pissed off, it's usually good. He's going to be taking the Rolex off soon. And then that's when you know business is about to happen. <laughs> yep. Yep, I completely agree. Arn is not having it. Uh, Cody, his professionalism is starting to really piss off Arn. Um, because, like, let's, let's be honest. Like, Cody's basically... I'm trying to think if it's, like, similar to Rick... In a sense, Ric Flair, where he, if he thinks that he's he's got the match, he starts kind of goofing off, and that can get the better of him. And Arn's like, "What the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, you know, quit showing off." And uh, well, he's having a problem it, shutting it, that off. I I think you could go either way with that because the other thing is that Arn could just be like, "I don't care how you win, but you need to win," right? Because that was the thing about Rick; he would do all the goofing off stuff. But by hook or crook, Rick would win. Yep. And Cody doesn't do that. So maybe that is the 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 battle there. I like the storyline. It's a it's a bit weird just because it seems like Tully would fit better if you were going that route, but I love pissed off Arn Anderson. So if I'm gonna get more pissed off Arn Anderson throwing shit, I'm excited for that. All right, well let's move over to NXT. First big announcement, kind of a news item I forgot to bring up, but now I can. Um, big, I would say, acquisition of NXT. Uh, they just signed, and they will be a part of the next class coming out, the Rascals from Impact. Uh, this is a team of three guys, one I knew from previous uh, in the Indies with Desmond Xavier. But they were positioned a couple of years ago, and majority of their career, you know, they're all young men. I think they're all in their 20s, or early 20s have been on this team together. You got Desmond, Desmond Xavier, Trey Miguel, Zachary Wentz. Wentz and Xavier have had the titles before. Trey's had the X Division and went for the Impact Championship and came up short against Eddie Edwards. But all three of them are great performers. They're fun wrestlers. I don't know if they'd be able to get away with the same hijinks. Uh, they would basically spoof that 70s show for a lot of their segments and act as if they were in a, you know, the stoner circle, all high as shit. They even had one time where they were so high that Moose, who they talked shit about, ended up in the same circle with them. And they're all like, wait, what are you doing here? And they just beat the shit out of them. So that was a pretty funny segment. But um, what I'm trying to say is I think that these three guys, they'll probably have their their group name change. I don't know if they'll go by Des, Trey, and Wentz like they were. I'm sure that NWA, NXT through WWE because of Vince will change aspects. But these guys... I think are going to be great in NXT. Uh, their last match was really, really, really solid and just uh, very heartfelt. All of them were crying at the end of it. Uh, and Impact did a really nice job putting them over a lot and saying goodbye to them, letting them have like a last match, which I thought was really nice of the company to do. Uh, they're Like I said, they're moving to NXT. Um, I know that you're not as familiar. You see matches, obviously, with the Rascals. They had that match with uh, Motor City Machine Guns that was really good, but... I mean, they've been around for the last couple of years as this little faction. They have an energy very similar. I would love for them to come to NXT and put Ricochet back on NXT and let this be Ricochet's kind of group if they wanted to do that against Undisputed Era once 
eras, undisputed eras done with uh, Pat McAfee's group that's probably going to dissolve after that. There's things that you could do, basically. These guys are great in the ring. They're young, they're talented, and they're hungry. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what they bring to NXT. I, I guess my only curiosity would be if they're going to keep them together as a three-piece or if they're going to split one into 205 or something. Obviously, they need, tag, they need tag teams. So I feel like two of the guys are going to be in the tag team. Uh, I just don't know if they're going to go the, the three-man band. I don't want to call it a three-man band. The Freebird three type. <laughs> I don't know that they're going to go the Freebird rules with these guys. But you know what? It's a great signing. That match they had with Motor City Machine Guns was really good. I've seen some, some of the other matches they've had uh, in Impact. I don't know like their gimmicks or storylines because I pretty much only have watched pay-per-views that you have told me to watch. And this is completely TNA's fault for killing a diehard fan from let's say 2003 to 2012. So that's, that's on them. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree with you. They, I mean, their gimmick is basically their stoner skateboarders. That's, that's basically <laughs> <laughs> there, there are three rugged skateboarders with tattoos all over them that are goofy and stoners. I don't know how you're going to well, translate shit. that to NXT. Send it down. Send the King of Bros back down. Not doing There's anything another with them. One. If you guys are going to do the stoner gimmick, you might as well send the King of Bros back. <laughs> have a have a big faction if you're going to do it. I guess I don't know. We'll see. I. It's so weird. We don't even know what they're going to be called. They're probably going to have different names. Like WWE creative having their hands so heavily in NXT now makes me worried. Um, like maybe they come down to the ring on skateboards <laughs> in a bad way, like Johnny Ace. Oh God, the dynamic dudes. <laughs> yeah. That's, I mean, that's immediately I'm just worried because I feel like WWE will find a way to screw them up for no reason, <laughs> but they do need tag teams. So I could be wrong. At least they're trying to sign tag teams. So that's a good thing because their tag team roster right now in, in NXT is not the best. No, it's definitely not. Uh, and, and it's funny because we've, we've talked about this. NXT had one of the strongest tag team divisions just a couple of years ago. And now it just, it's non-existent. There's like no tag teams. Uh, and the, and the, you know what the bigger problem is? Is they cannibalized it, but none of those tag teams really worked out on the main roster. Like no. a, AOP didn't work out. Uh, we know where FTR is now. Viking Raiders uh, didn't work out. Viking Raiders really didn't work out. Uh, American Alpha, they split up. <laughs> Damn it. You, you know what I mean? Like all of the good stuff that they could have had. Like, I don't know, having War Machine be War Machine as opposed to the Viking Raiders. Uh, what's the other ones? The the um, Ascension. Like, they were great in NXT. The VOD villains. Uh, Enzo and Cass. Like, they had, they've had so many. They've cannibalized that tag division for years. And none of those tag teams are around. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I hope the rascals end up doing something really cool and uh, we'll have to wait because there's one thing that we all have to realize is that they could do, they could do them right on NXT, but if they get to that main roster, holy fuck, that's even scarier. They're all smaller dudes. 
I think Trey is ridiculously, you know, all of them are, are incredible performers, but Trey specifically was pushed by himself and impact for a reason. Um, I think he's a great baby face. He reminds me a lot of Ricochet. I know all three of them look up to Ricochet, um, you know, due to their age and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see what they do in, or in Impact, in NXT. But a very, very nice of Impact to kind of promote the whole show being, you know, we're going to put the champion Rick Swan and Trey against Wentz and Dez in a tag team, and it's going to be their last match, and they let them have a nice outing and, they were all crying and all the, uh, you know, roster kind of celebrated with them for it being their last match. You don't see a lot of organizations doing shit like that. Yeah, you really don't. And they also did the same thing with Santana and Ortiz when they were yes. on their way out. They did, I guess it was, uh, was it Rich Swan and Willie Mack had a tag mm-hmm. match against Santana and Ortiz and that was the send off. And they did a very similar thing. I think that's great. Cause you don't want to burn bridges. Like for all we know, Vince could lay these guys off in two months and maybe you would want the rascals to be back in your federation. Yep. Uh, hopefully it doesn't happen, but uh, that's definitely something possible. Well, uh, let's start off NXT and go and start talking about the main show itself. I thought NXT was a bit weak this, uh, this week uh, to be honest with you. Uh, I love the ending. Uh, the whole the whole ending half with the Rhea Ripley Io Shirai match, and then followed by what happened uh, with Finn Balor having the Undisputed Era come out and beat the hell out of uh, Pat McAfee's group uh, was awesome. But I'm not really digging this whole. Maybe I gotta wait for it to kind of like simmer in. But the the uh, North American uh, Championship picture, not really digging it that much. But uh, we had the the uh, match with Johnny Gargano getting his his comeuppance or trying to against Leon Ruff uh, rematch for the NXT North American title match. And, you know, Leon's doing the whole evading really well, kind of, I guess, Orange Cassidy-ish, but using that as, you know, reasonable, the fast fact that he's faster and he can jump off things um, to try to evade the person and then get those strikes using that type of force. That seems to be his, his wrestling style, uh, which works out for him in some rights, and uh, later on in the night would not. Uh, but him and Johnny were having a decent match. It would really just accumulate to Damian Priest being selfish, not wanting Mo- or Moxley, not wanting Gargano to get that belt back. And he punched, he apologized and punched Leon Ruff in the face in front of the referee, uh, DQ victory. Um, and then when Johnny's like freaking out in the ring and you know, all pissed off, he held up Leon Ruff's arm and helped him to the back. And in the back, you know, he was getting scolded by William Regal. And William Regal was like, what the hell? What are you doing? You know, and uh, Leon Ruff, you know, after he's like, you know, I, I can't have Johnny win that. That would be a joke if he got the title back. And Leon Ruff confronted him and said, what am I, a joke to you? And, you know, for a little guy, got a nice little slap in the face of Priest. I'm sure a lot of people weren't happy that Priest, you know, got slapped, but he held back. And, you know, Regal said you should be ashamed of yourself, so he was scolded some more. I don't. I would not want to get uh, told off by William Regal. I think that would be like, you know, like like your dad, letting you know that you fucked up. But anyways, um, yeah, this is this is this is uh, this is interesting. I guess uh, I don't know. Uh, what do you think, Chris? By interesting, by you mean interesting, it sucks. You mean it sucks. They're just trying to redo the one, two, three kid Razor Ramon thing, and Leon Ruff look does not look like someone that could hold the fucking title. 
Yes. I guess the bigger problem is you've also made Damien Priest a heel by proxy through this storyline. Pretty much. And they're not going to go with Leon Ruff in the long run, I don't think. So what's going to happen is you're going to have Johnny Gargano a heel versus Damien Priest a heel for this title. This title picture is uh, really dismal. Yeah. (laughs) This storyline is really dumb. Also, where's Scream Mask guy? <laughs> I don't know. Where, where's Austin Theory at? <laughs> we I, we didn't get the payoff for that either, so I, I don't know. The match itself I thought was pretty good. Um, where, where the fuck is Bronson Reed? Where the hell is his division? Where the hell is you know any of those guys that could be going after this title? And so it's not just Damian Priest and Johnny fucking Gargano over and over again. Well, here's the part that doesn't make any sense. The part that doesn't make any sense is why would Damian Priest want Leon Ruff to win the title? Because then his rematch clause is doesn't exist because he lost the title. So in theory, he would have gotten a rematch to jo- with Johnny Gargano because that's how WWE works. If you lose the title, you have a rematch clause. You get it's a, that's I mean throughout history, that's how that's worked. It everything about this sucks, and and that's nothing against anyone involved in this. I just think it's it's. It's just really bad booking. Every like I like Leon Ruff. I think he's been pretty good in the ring. I thought the match with Gargano was pretty good. It's just the storyline itself and and kind of killing what I thought Damian Priest had going as this cocky babyface. Uh, kind of reminded me of what Andrade was doing, where he was like the party guy almost. Yeah. And I I, I don't know. It's uh. Maybe he did too much blow and that fucked up his decision making. Just drank too much at the club the night before. Maybe, yeah, maybe he was also part of the hangover segments with Chris Jericho and company. He would have worked out in that. I could have seen that. That, that, that would have been hilarious. Uh, all right, so I don't like the next thing either. I mean, I hate to complain, but god damn it. Like, the most known blindfold match in wrestling was Rick Martel, Jake the Snake Roberts, the first one, WWF. Uh, they've done it before. That one sucked. <laughs> you know, these, this match is not good because obviously they're, it's sheer enough so they can see through it, but they have to act like they're blind the whole entire time to make it interesting and whatnot. And uh, this is Cameron Grimes, Dexter Loomis in a blindfold match, but it was actually a sack over their heads. I mean, basically what happened was... You know, we had Cameron Grimes who got confused and thought that person behind him, which was the referee, was even though obviously there's a size difference, but uh, he thought that that was Dexter Loomis. He beat the living hell out of them uh, while the referee was down. He pulled his sack over his head. I uh, was going to cheat when he realized that he knocked the referee down. He went for his caveman, um, and <laughs> Loomis just walked right out of the way. And even got the better of him. As soon as Loomis's sack came off of his head and realized that, you know, Cameron Grimes was cheating, Cameron Grimes got scared and ran the fuck away. That was it. That was the fucking match. And we're probably going to proceed with more of this shit. I'm starting to, like, talk about NXT sometimes the way I talk about w- or Monday Night Raw. But can we move on with some of these fucking feuds? Like, why are we still Priest and Gargano and why are we still doing Dexter Loomis and Cameron Grimes, Chris. I have no idea because this Cameron Grimes Loomis thing doesn't help either of them. It makes no. them incredibly dumb, honestly. 
Um, Cameron Grimes, I think, is an interesting character. He's too good at being a funny character, so he's clearly positioned himself in that role as a comical character, unfortunately for him. Um, and Loomis is someone you were building as a monster who turned into an artist. And it's a blindfold match. <laughs> the reason that no one's done a blindfold match in like 25 years is because they suck. I'm pretty sure the original concept of the blindfold match was someone was watching Bloodsport and they saw Jean-Claude Van Damme get that <laughs> sand thrown in his eyes and they were like, damn, we should do a wrestling match like that. That will be amazing. Like the idea of like a fight where neither person can see, if anything, should just be the most ridiculous shit of all time where they're not hitting each other ever. <laughs> Realistically, it's just a dumb idea. I mean, it really is. And also, like, Loomis is supernatural, which you've told us, because he can summon zombies and shit. So, like, he could probably just use the Force and see him and demolish him in 10 seconds. That I mean, that might have been the way you should have booked the match. The, the best thing about this match is it was only four minutes long. Yeah, I agree. All right, well, so we're, we're getting to take over. Uh, it looks like it's, it's game position that we're going to have you know, Candice LeRae having her team and Shotzi having her team uh, for the women's war games match. Uh, right. Then we started with a tag match with Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell going against Casey Canizaro and Caden Carter, which sucks, especially for Caden Carter, that they've kind of been put to the sideline. I mean, there are a lot of great women talent right now in NXT, but I really like Caden Carter and her and Casey have this tag team. That's just pretty much their jobbers. Um, within the women's tag team division. But uh, once again, they lost after the match. Um, you know, she stands tall. We have a package for Arturo Huas, who's coming back for a match next against Kushida. Um, but uh, the women's match wasn't bad. It was just, you know, Candice pulling some heel shit and just getting the win over her old friend, uh, Kisa Kanozaro. So, uh, not really a lot to talk about with that, but if you want to make any comments towards that, Chris, go right ahead. No, I mean, I thought the match was decent, like you said. Uh, I'm surprised they haven't done more with Casey Cantanzaro. I thought they gave her this huge spot in the Royal Rumble and that she was eventually going to get a big push, and they've basically turned her into a jobber, which is weird. So, uh, Also, when they put this tag team together... I thought, okay, maybe they're going to send them to the main roster so that there's another women's tag team. And that didn't happen. So, like, you know, just the obvious stuff I would be pissed off about, basically, Dane. Uh, outside of that, uh, the Arturo video package I thought was really, really good. And it led to my match of the night. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was an awesome match between Kushida and Arturo Huas. Um, just hard hitting, very technical. You have these two guys that are getting built that, you know, they both are great with technical wrestling. You have Brazilian jiu-jitsu and, and, and Muay Thai versus Kushida with his dominant, um, judo and just, just great, um, technical wrestling skills and Kushida ended up winning, but it was a really close match. And this really should have been Arturo's, even if he lost his coming out. And even though not too long ago he was actually on either Raw or SmackDown's roster, now I guess they're going to pretend that didn't happen and just put him in NXT. He's got a way better home in NXT. The first NXT when they went to USA had him in one of the matches. It was one, it was a really fucking good match. 
So I'm glad that he's back on NXT. But unfortunately, he injured himself uh, during this match. I think he messed up his wrist. So he's going to be out for a little while, uh, which just fucking sucks that, you you know, Mandy Rose, she's been only back for a little while. She hurt herself. She's out for a couple of weeks. So it just sucks when that's the situation, when you're finally getting built up, getting some, some steam, and then taken right off. Uh, but hopefully it's not that bad of an injury. Like I said, I'm pretty sure it was his wrist that he jammed up uh, throughout the match. But what do you expect? When you and Kushida are going 90 miles a minute with a great technical match, it actually looks like a real fight. Uh, but yeah, good shit. What did you think, Chris? thought this match was incredible. Both guys are trained in jiu-jitsu. I, I know that I think Arturo is a black belt, and Kushida, if I recall, was like a yellow belt. Last interview he did with Wrestling Observer, he kind of talked about that a bit. Oh, um, it was a torn bicep. Damn it. That sucks. Um, that really sucks because I thought they did a good job of protecting him in this match, honestly, because he, he obviously was winning the jujitsu battle, but lost to a wrestling pin. That that's the story of this match. Cause Cheetah, the better professional wrestler, <laughs> not the better jujitsu uh, artist. So I thought they did a good job of protecting him. That sucks that he's injured, honestly. Um, but man, what a good match. If you like, if you like, uh, jiu-jitsu if you like technical wrestling this was incredible Kushida gets another strong win he's been undefeated in the past month and a half I'm pretty sure so if if he's not in the title picture I don't know who should be and he's been fucking incredible lights out everyone knows I love Kushida he's he's slowly creeping up my list as uh he's slowly creeping up my top five list Dane as current damn good wrestlers. wrestlers He's a damn fine wrestler, man. That's all I got to say. All right. Well, we had a segment in the back with Ember Moon and Tony Storm, uh, you know, building up to their match. Uh, we also had, you know, some wrestlers and Hall of Famers going over who they thought that was going to win between Io Shirai and Rhea Ripley. Uh, Shawn Michaels notably said Io Shirai and Triple H went with Rhea Ripley. We'll get to that match in a little bit. So Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez went against Ember Moon and Tony Storm. And this would... Towards the end of the match, Gonzalez ran Storm into the ring post while Moon had the referee distracted. Moon, uh, with a suicide dive to Gonzalez to the floor, Kai drop, drags Storm uh, to the middle of the ring, but Storm counters and rolls her up out of nowhere for the pinfall victory. Winners, Tony Storm and Ember Moon. And after the match, Storm and Moon stand tall as their music hits. Uh, Candice LeRae and Indy Hartwell run down and attack Moon and Storm after... Uh, from behind at ringside, they roll the winners into the ring, and Gonzalez destroys them both while Kai looks on. Lorraine Hartwell watch from ringside as Gonzalez and Kai stand over Moon and Storm in the ring. The announcers uh, wonder if this is an olive branch for the war games coming out. So I'm assuming it's Tony Storm, Ember Moon, and um, I know they had her out because she was quote-unquote in, in, injured, Shotzi Blackheart, uh, to set up this. It'll be the three of them and a mystery person. I'm assuming that's got to be Rhea Ripley now because of the outcome of what happened. But it will be Candice LeRae, Indy Hartwell, um, uh, Raquel Gonzalez, and Dakota Kai as the heel team for the women's War Games match. But um, thought the uh, tag match was good. Uh, Raquel Gonzalez, just week to week, continues to impress the hell out of me. She's going to be a force to deal with within the future because she's young and she's 
pretty new to wrestling. So she still looks like a badass. And I love Ember Moon and Tony Storm. Ember Moon, I love how she's really positioned less aerial stuff and just more aggressive fighting. She's become a very aggressive wrestler with this new incarnation, and I, I definitely dig. So uh, what did you think about all this, Chris? I thought it was a pretty good match. I had no problems with the finish. Uh, I really liked Ember Moon's promo earlier. I don't. Did we talk about that? I kind of breezed through it. What, what did she say that, that piqued your interest? I, it's just it was better than her promo since coming back. She seems like she's getting more solid back into her character. Um, nothing real crazy, just kind of your typical babyface promo. I don't have notes in front of me for that, but I, I just remember it being better. better. Um, and the match itself was good. I look forward to that Survivor Series match. I think that'll be really good. And like you said, Raquel Gonzalez... Uh, week to week, she improves, which is incredible. I think that she could be a really, really bright spot on that NXT roster if used properly. Uh, I'm trying to think of anything else. I mean, I guess the big stuff comes out of, I guess, Dakota Kai is getting a title shot after the finish of the main event. Not, not 100% sure. I think they just basically set up the War Games match, but I don't know if they have uh, a title. I don't know who the fuck Io is going to have to go against next. That's a really good question. Yeah, because to me, the way they they were talking on commentary, it seems like they were going to go with Dakota Kai. So I don't know who would fill that slot in the War Games match. Um, Did we talk about the Shotzi rebuilding the tank? Or what I'm assuming is rebuilding the tank, where she's like covered in grease and stuff? Is that what she was doing? I I don't remember even seeing that. I was wondering why she was gone. I thought she was selling an injury. No, she had a she had a promo. Um, I don't remember all the details from it, but basically she was covered in grease. So I'm assuming that she's rebuilding the tank and she basically said war's coming. So she's going to be part of war games and I'm assuming she'll have the tank back. Um, so which is cool. who do you think, who do you think that fourth person is? We have obviously Shotzi Blackheart, we have Ember Moon and we have, um, uh, Tony Storm. We have a fourth place. I'm assuming it's going to be Rhea Ripley based on what happened. But they're obviously going against Dakota Kai, Raquel Gonzalez, uh, Candice LeRae, and Indy Hartwell. Who's the fourth babyface? Do you think it's Rhea Ripley? <sighs> it's. It just depends on what the title match is going to be. If the title match is not going to be that, I'd, I'd be curious if they sent someone down like Mickey James or something. But yeah, I mean, it would make sense it being Rhea Ripley. Unless you're not going to have a women's title match at War Games. No, they are. That, that That's what the setup. That that was the two teams they were setting up. No, but I mean for the title match. For EO's title. Oh, go for EO's EO. title. Because oh. it would either be that's, Dakota or... That's what I'm saying. There's. It seems like she's ta- she gets an off night or something because it looks like everyone else is going to be wrapped up unless you give Rhea Ripley another title shot. But why would you? Yeah, that that's the part that I don't understand. I, like... Either you get, you're going to have one slot taken away if you do a women's title match. You're going to either have Dakota go for the title or you're going to have Rhea go for the title. And that's going to unbalance those teams. They could bring someone back down, I guess. Or someone that we're not thinking about. I love your idea of Mickey James. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, like her return to NXT, being a veteran on this team. I mean, I, unless she's going to be... Well, actually, it doesn't even matter. I, I they don't really have much for her to do. It wouldn't be a bad thing to send her down if you're going to do Rhea again. 
Well, we'll have to find out, but yeah, definitely kind of interesting. One thing that was noted that was interesting, I don't remember what part in the night this happened, but just in case my notes don't have it, I wanted to remember. Um, for some reason, and maybe there, maybe there's reason on his end, but um, uh, Wade Barrett's not going to be on commentary next week. They announced that Kevin Owens is going to be doing special commentary. Is that just for the hell of the commentary concept, Chris? Or is Kevin Owens on NXT television for more of a reason next week? Well, God, I hope he's on there for more of a reason. Maybe he's like, I'm done with this bullshit. I'm going back to NXT. Jesus. Um, but yeah, Kevin on commentary. I think it probably has to do with how good him and Sami Zayn have been on Talking Smack. Yep. Um, and they're like, hey, let's give Kevin Owens a run. I hope that they're not positioning Kevin Owens in the same light as they've done Samoa Joe. Oh, that would be very unfortunate. As much as I love Kevin Owens, I'd much rather see him wrestle than I would see him on commentary. I feel like that, you know, he's not got the same amount of wear on his body as Samoa Joe. No, it seems like he's got some years left and the guy is signed until 2023. So (laughs) hopefully you're going to do more with Kevin than just have him be a commentator. All right, so after that, we had a we, we shot to Io Shirai, who was backstage warming up for the main event. Then we had footage from TakeOver 31, in which Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly were injured in the main event, um, breaking Finn Balor's jaw in two places and having to get steel plates put in. Jesus Christ. That was such a good match. I know people say, like, why do, they, why do people have to wrestle that hard? You know, when it reference to that or Walter and Iliad. And I have to say, man, if you're that comfortable and you really want to make it look like an athletic contest, like an actual fight, I, com- I, you know, I commend you. Now, the flip side of that, obviously, is like you have wrestlers that used to make it look like a fucking fight, like a Bret Hart, and he didn't have to put that much aggression. But you know, but then you compare it to someone like a Dynamite Kid, who also had great fucking matches with Bret Hart. They used to beat the living hell out of people. So it all depends on your style. But uh, don't be a pussy. And just enjoy it when it actually looks like a fucking fight is what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, I would I would still say that was a bit too snug. The Walter match I didn't have as much of a problem with. Uh, and if you want, like, to hearken back to what you were saying, Jim Cornette's Jim Cornette and Brian Last breaking down that Walter match is great. Where Jim Cornette basically says like this wasn't an unsafe match. Half the shit you see in wrestling is way more unsafe than what these two guys were doing. Obviously, they know each other and they just laid it in. Um, but yeah, go check that out if you haven't listened to that. Guys out there listening now, check out that review. It should be on YouTube if you look up Walter Jim Cornette. Yeah, he gushed over it. I think he said it was the best match he's seen in like 20 years or something. Yeah, he really really liked it. I will definitely say that I love that review. But there's also one that WWE put up where it was like various wrestlers watching the match and it showed you a majority of the match like in a little sub window. And you have people like Shawn Michaels and, and uh, Drew McIntyre and Wade Barrett and Sheamus, guys that have known them in the industry and also just other wrestlers. Chad Gable was on it. And I love Shawn Michaels. He's like, like Ilya just gets fucking annihilated by Walter outside. He like just hits him four times and like, Sean even says, and you can totally see Shawn Michaels doing this. He's like, I'm going to be honest with you. If someone hit me that hard in the fucking ring, I just, I just leave. I, I, I wouldn't be able to fucking just, there's no way I'm trying to get more from that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, check out those things. Just check out that fucking match if you haven't got a chance to. 
great six. Yeah, it was phenomenal. One of the best matches this year, easily. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the next match was uh, Timothy Thatcher trying to get his revenge from August Gray, his old trainee that decided to put him in his place a bit. And that's what Timothy did to him in this match. He just, you know, manhandled him. There was a little bit of uh, Gray coming back, but Timothy Thatcher ended up, you know, applying his uh, next submission and getting a quick tap from Gray. But after the match, so Tommaso Ciampa last week made this whole entire, you know, he he talked about his uh, mentors, uh, the two of the guys that taught him the most, that were revered in the industry of just being badasses, Killer Kowalski. Uh, he was part of the same class that Frankie Kazarian was, uh, Killer Kowalski's last group of uh, students. And later on, he would work uh, with Harley Race. He talked about how much they were badasses and that they didn't ask permission. They they just took what was supposed to be theirs and uh, even positioned it and said there's a lot of people bitching and moaning and trying to act like they're coaches. And they're new to this place. And they, you know, he's going to take back the locker room and show, you know, that it's not that he deserves to be there or anything like that, that he is NXT and that he is the measuring stick. And somehow I did not think that was going to equate to him going after Timothy Thatcher since Thatcher, I believe, is around the same age as him. But then again, you have Thatcher who's been doing these Thatch, uh, Thatch can segments and act like a teacher. He's new to NXT. He's pushing around people, obviously. So I guess Tommaso Ciampa is going to go after him. He gets in the ring. They look like they're about to square up. And Timothy Thatcher is like, I don't have problems with you, rolls out. And, you know, Mackenzie Mitchell asks uh, Tommaso Ciampa afterwards, what was that all about? And he said, I thought it was quite obvious. I want to I fight uh, Timothy Thatcher and just walked off. I fucking love Tommaso Ciampa. And this goes to what I was saying beforehand. He's got... He's got that same issue that, you know, obviously is the reason why Austin became a babyface. I don't think people want him as a heel, and it's not going to work out too well. He's got to be that guy that toes the line that's a badass, but he's going to be people like him. Tomas Ciampa is a Sicilian psychopath. He's, he's fucking scary. He comes out. He whoops people's ass, and people like him for it. So I thought this was cool. I like that this is the first person he's going after to like let them know who the fuck the, the chief is, if you will. And I'm sure eventually it will get him back in the saddle picture, but Tomas Ciampa, I'll never have a problem with anything he does in NXT. I don't care. I know that this is supposed to be a place where new wrestlers build themselves, but I think that he should be a building block you got to fucking climb over. Uh, I think that he's there for a reason, basically. Uh, what do you think about all this, Chris? Yeah, I mean, the whole idea of NXT being a place to build yourself outside of the women's division has been lost on me for a while because they're just bringing in people that already know what the fuck they're doing for the most part. Like, outside of Velveteen Dream, who is the one surprise that they've brought in that was relatively unknown? Um... I don't know. So it, some, he's a perfect building block if you're trying to get someone over. I think that's a good way of putting it. And I have absolutely no problem with T Tomasa Ciampa. I mean, he basically said he wanted to be NXT for life. Him and Gargano both, right? So yep, both great guys to have there for a long period of time. If they're comfortable with doing that, I mean, 
I'm sure they're aware they're not going to make as much money as they would make on the main roster. And if that's what they're fine with and they like what they're doing, I don't think any fan should have a problem with Tommaso Ciampa being there because it just means you're going to get good wrestling. Same thing with Gargano. Um, I liked I liked this match. I thought Gray looked really good in this match, honestly. Uh, I want Thatcher versus Arturo. <laughs> really yeah. bad it sucks it sucks that he what did you say he tore his uh bicep tore his bicep so that sucks because i thought that would be the next thing they would go with if if he didn't get injured i was uh i was a hundred percent thinking they were going to go okay well now he's going to go after thatcher nope unfortunately that's not going to happen all right so we had damian priest come out uh for his next match before he could even get anything started we could find out who was going against him giant gargano attacked him during his entrance they start brawling everywhere gargano uh, hits him with a big enziguri and then priest uh, with a stiff kick out of nowhere they're fighting in the ring and basically an xd champion leon ruff comes out uh you think he's going to help damian priest but he kind of evades uh uh something from johnny to knock damian priest off the apron uh, when Damien gets on there, he sends Johnny into him. He's basically, you know, just using his speed. And uh, it basically what happened is that Johnny Gargano and Damien Priest are fighting each other. They're not paying attention to this kid. Uh, they would go after him, and then they would start fighting again. They get towards the other set of uh, ropes, and he came up and drop-kicked one of them out, knocked the other one out, and is posing in the ring all happy. And then they both get up and they look at him like, we're going to kick the shit out of you. And he gets the hell out of there. When they enter the ring, he exits and runs up the ramp. And Gargano and Damian Priest start fighting a little bit again. And that is it. We see William Regal talk to Leon Ruff. And Leon Ruff says that he'll take on both of them. So we're going to be having a three-way match. I don't know if it's going to be on NXT or War Games for the North American title with Damian Priest, Johnny Gargano, and Leon Ruff. A champion that's supposed to be kind of a joke champion, and two past champions I don't even care if the belt's on, honestly. Damian should be in the main title picture. I would have thought that Johnny could have been a great gatekeeper NXT North American champion, but after he just lost Leon Ruff, I don't want to see the belt back on him. So, But like I said, this is my, my least favorite thing on NXT. My biggest problem with this entire segment is that after he kicks both of them out of the ring and they get back in the ring, he runs off and then he immediately says, I'm totally going to fight both of you. Like what, why would you run off then? What the hell is the point of that? Like, you know, stay around, take your ass whipping. Then at least you're setting up two heels versus a sympathetic baby face. Um, yeah, I don't like this either, Dane. I don't, I, 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 Outside of all of the performers involved being really good in ring, from what I can tell, I haven't seen that much of Leon Ruff, but he's looked solid. Uh, outside of that, like the storyline does nothing for me. And I'm assuming it's just they're going to do a three-way for the title, Damian Priest will get the belt back, and then we'll continue business as usual. I'm just having – I know that's not supposed to be someone I take as seriously, obviously, but Leon Ruff looks like Rick Swan's like baby brother. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I could see that. So it's hard to take him seriously. Ugh. I I mean the problem is is you 
the whole storyline's not focused around him, and you know he's dropping the title back. Right? Yep. Everyone loves that idea of like, oh, that was like the one, two, three kid moment. It was like, yeah, but do you remember what happened to one, two, three kid after he won that match? Because I'm pretty sure the very next week he got hit with a razor's edge. Probably. <laughs> like, uh, he did not. That was a uh, not a very, <laughs> very long run with one, two, three kid being super hot. Oh, well. Well, let's move on to something I found uh, a bit better uh, with NXT. Oh, actually, before we had that, so we had Boa, and he has not reported to the uh, NXT, uh, you know, just in general for the last week. Uh, Zaylee's been gone for two weeks, so we have a video of William Regal uh, knocking on Boa's door and confronting him, and he's got like basically makeup to look like his eyes are, are grayed out, and he's been up. For days and you know regal's like why haven't you been at the performance center and he's like i can't come to the performance center kept on saying i don't know if it was he or she but kept on saying she's coming uh and he's and he said oh no it, it was she because he was like who are you talking about zia lee it's like no, no no she's coming so someone's coming boa slammed the door in regal's face and uh yeah i do you, <laughs> i don't even know do you have do you have anything to say about this whole scenario Another thing I don't really like. Did they sign Tessa? And why the hell is Boa going to be the guy putting over a new... Uh, like a big name? Who's coming, I guess, is the bigger question. And if it's a big name, why are you putting it in the hands of this person? Uh, I don't know. Or we got a tail tape. Um, and we got our match for Rhea Ripley and Io Shirai. This was a fucking really hard-hitting match. People that are not a fan, if they're not a fan maybe of Yoshi wrestlers because they have this perception that I think is ridiculous, that don't see people like Asuka and Io Shirai, how they are basically very, very much Keiji Muto, Great Muta, stylistically, just aggressive, nonstop, hard-hitting, but extremely agile, fast. That's who both Io and Asuka remind me of. Maybe that's more of a comment towards that I agree with Brian Last that I completely disagree with uh, Jim Cornette uh, with his theories on things. But EO is fucking awesome. Rhea Ripley got her. I don't know if it was her gauge that got stretched or she just got slashed on the ear, but her ear was bleeding like a motherfucker. I loved it when she noticed it, Chris, and then took the blood and just wiped it on her cheeks like for like war paint. Uh, they beat the living hell out of each other. The ending would inevitably have uh, an outside spot on almost count-out, Rhea Ripley barely getting in the ring, but then Io just taking advantage and, and doing the moonsault and winning it back. And Io Shirai is still your NXT champion. What does this mean for Rhea Ripley? What, what, I, I, this was, I, I, I was not expecting this, man. She's had the title for a long time. I love Io, but what, what the hell are they doing with, with Rhea? Uh, to an extent, I'm assuming she's joining the team for war games, but I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit flabbergasted that EO retained it. Uh, and who is her next opponent? What'd you think? Great match, by the way, hard hitting. I, I like the match a lot. I would say the primary difference between EO and Asuka is that Asuka is way safer in the ring. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> 
that's the difference between a good wrestler and a great wrestler. Uh, what happened with her ear, by the way, is she got her ear, like her gauge, caught in um, Io's knee pad. Oh. And then she pulled and pulled again, and it ripped her ear. So I don't know how bad that is, but that's what happened, is that she got her... I don't think her, she'll be wearing those in matches anymore. I wouldn't, because that seems like it sucks. <laughs> and probably Oof. part of her ear now lives in Io's knee pad. <laughs> Um, so I went back and had to watch it again because I was like, what happened? But yeah, she totally gets her head like caught in Dio's ring gear, essentially. Uh, this was a very good match. Me and you, when we talked about this, I guess it was last week when we were previewing this title match, that this was our primary question is like, well, what are you going to do? Because if Rhea loses uh, outside of war games, I'm assuming she's going to the main roster. Yeah. Because there's nothing left for her to do there. She's held the NXT Women's Championship already. She's held the uh, UK Women's Championship. What, the, what 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 else can she do? I mean, she could have a very strong appearance at uh, War Games and then get called up to Maine. They need someone for Asuka to go against until Charlotte's back. Or she could win Rumble. Uh, there's a lot of stuff you can do with Rhea. I mean, I thought that the stuff that they did with her and Charlotte was very good. I you know, obviously they didn't even make so many three-way matches, but that, that that's still a feud that's there. Her and Charlotte, I, she she just seems primed for the main roster. I thought it was going to be one of the two. Whoever lost would go to main. So my guess is Rhea is going to main. Yeah, that's what I think happened too. But uh, that the biggest, if that makes sense with Rhea, you know, but the other big question, we already talked about this. We touched upon this. Even if you get past war games, like she's beaten Candice like twice. She's beaten Dakota Kai. You know, she's never gone against Raquel Gonzalez, I don't think, but Dakota is not going to really want her diesel to go for the fucking title. You know, um, Ember Moon's a good person, I guess, or, or Tony Storm, but like, who takes the belt off of Yoshirai? I, I would think eventually Tony Storm. Yeah. Um, but there's no problem with you holding this thing for a long time. I mean, it worked with Oscar, right? I think people like, like you. Um, and the meat of the division is all around everything that's happening underneath the main event. For the most part, <laughs> if you really think about the NXT women's division, that's not a bad thing. Uh, I mean, Dakota Kai could eventually get the title, I guess. She would be next in line. And I guess the question is, are they hesitant to bring EO up? Because I don't Probably. know. What, I don't know what her contract looks like. I don't know if she's signed for five years or if she was one of the lucky people that signed for three when she came in. Because if she signed for, let's say she signed for three years, she's been in NXT for at least two, right? Yep. So maybe the worry is we bring her up and make her a big part. She could pull the Carrie Zane and just leave. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. But, <sighs> well, I mean, Rhea right. being on the main roster, there's so much. I, 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 what would you put her? I'd put her on Raw, personally. Oh, absolutely. Because Raw, you can put her, like you said, against Asuka. But also, she has unfinished business with Charlotte, too. So it makes sense for her to be on there just because of those two people. 
that and when this when the tag team inevitably breaks up, you also get her and Shayna. Yeah, so, that's a good point too. It makes a lot of sense that they that she would lose here, then have a good War Games, then move up. And uh, also, I thought more about the Kevin Owens thing. He was in War Games last year, so maybe this is a way to get him involved in War Games somehow, for him being on commentary. Well, you already got the four on four, so unless they add another person for each team, I don't know how they would do that. I I could easily see, um, with the way that Pat McAfee has been killing people, I could see one of these guys being injured and them having to find a replacement. That's possible. But let's talk about that. Uh, Finn Balor came out. He was going to address the championship. He talked about how he broke his jaw in two places. Um, and here he stands with plates in his mouth, and he's still a bad son of a bitch. As soon as he says that, before we can find out anything, the uh, Kings of NXT interrupt with Pac McAfee coming out, talking him down. He's got Pete Dunne and the NXT Tag Champions, Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch with him. They walk towards, they talk about how they beat the crap out of Drake Maverick and Killian Dane, took out the Undisputed Era. And that he's basically Finn Balor's the only one left that they need to take down. Um, and uh, Balor says that it's easy for the mice to play when the cat is away, but the cat is back. And look what he just dragged in. Lights go out. We hear shock the system. Balor makes his way to the outside of the ring. Uh, and just watching with a big smile on his face as the Undisputed Era come down there and just start fucking fighting. And I loved. Pat McAfee, such a great heel. Because you have, obviously, you have Kyle O'Reilly goes after Pete Dunne for taking him out. Uh, and you have uh, Rod, Roderick Strong and, and Bobby Fish going after Oni Lorcan and Danny Birch because they're the tag team and tag team champions. And Pat McAfee and his old uh, rival, Adam Cole. Pete Dunne especially. Everyone is fighting everyone's beating the living fuck out of each other and like ready with aggression pat mcafee has like oh shit on his face and totally gets annihilated by adam cole right off the bat he takes him out to the outside uh just kicks the shit out of his face give him a nice little pump kick and just they destroyed them so we haven't had the announcement but like i said it's most likely you know going to be the four versus the four as the men's war games match comes up and we find out that it's going to be December 6th. So war games is coming up soon, but I uh, thought this is awesome. I love how Pete Dunn is just beating the shit out of people, even though he's a heel, like it, he's not going to, he's like kicking the crap of Kyle O'Reilly around the ring and shit like that. And Pat McAfee's getting his ass kicked by Adam Cole, just selling and just playing a great fucking chicken shit heel. I thought it was a lot of fun and, I don't really know why Finn Balor was involved, since Kyle O'Reilly is the one who put him out, but whatever. Um, still wondering what the hell's going on with that, uh, you know. So we had one guy lose a title because he had to be out due to injury. Finn picks it up, gets injured, and is out for a long period of time with the title. So very interesting. What do you think about this ending to NXT? I mean, is Finn going to be in the match? Because if Finn's going to be in the match, then Kevin Owens showing up would make sense because he might join Pat McAfee's group. That's a good point. That's a very good point. I don't know. I don't know if Finn's injured or not. I thought he was going to announce uh, what's going on with the title, but he didn't get a chance to. Yeah, so if he's not injured and he's going to be a part of this match, then shit, why not Kevin Owens? 
I mean, those are your two biggest old school NXT names, I would say, out of the old champs, Kevin Owens and Finn Balor. That would be awesome. Yeah, and maybe he wants a shot at that title. That's a big match. I mean, I, I'm down for that. Fuck. I'm just trying to think of any reason why Kevin Owens would be showing up right before War Games, and all roads point to him being involved in War Games since he was involved last year, the more I think about it. I like it. I, I like it. It's making me feel tingly. It's probably making Kevin Owens feel tingly, too, since they've given him dick all to do for the past two months. You know, like we keep on saying, between Knack and fucking Ricochet and fucking KO and fucking Alistair, why not have some more big names on your NXT product where they made names for themselves and were treated right? Ugh. So stupid. Oh, and that's because Vince doesn't give a shit about NXT anymore. Last year he did because he thought that they had somehow <laughs> were going to be able to surpass AEW stupidly and had them a part of fucking Survivor Series. But now he doesn't give a flying fuck. That's why. Well, you know, you know how you do that? You know how yeah. you do that? You do send down big stars like Kevin Owens and Aleister Black and Sami Zayn. And now you're not guys. doing shit with and Nakamura and fucking Samoa Joe and all the guys that built NXT. Yes, you send them back, and then your roster is just as stacked as AEW's roster, and you set up big matches, and that's how you beat it. Because they're going to get pistol-whipped with this Dean Ambrose uh, or uh, Moxley-Omega match. Yep. Like, that that week of ratings is going to be really bad for them unless they have something big up their sleeves. And that's their go-home show to War Games, too. It's not going to be good if they don't do a big number on that. And it's going to be because yeah. of Kenny versus Moxley. And and that's another reason probably why Kevin Owens is going to be there. Uh, yeah, well, I'm mean, excited. We'll see. But I, I feel like they have something up their sleeve with Kevin Owens. And uh, you know what? Like, you should care about NXT because it doesn't look good you getting dusted in the fucking ratings. We already talked about the fact they shouldn't be on the same night in general because they cannibalize each other's audience. But... Uh, Kenny Omega versus Moxley for the title on TV is going to be a big deal. Yep. So they didn't really announce anything that was mind-blowing this week for NXT for that go-home show, and that makes me a little bit worried on what that's going to look like. I don't know. Well, technically we have two weeks because the second is not next Wednesday. It's the Wednesday after that, and that would be the go-home show for NXT uh, so Kevin Owens is going to be on next week and then the next week is the go home show for the sixth, uh, and also the, the same show for Kenny going against, um, uh, John Moxley on the second. So, I mean, what do you throw against that in the main event? Because to me, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> to me, if you're going to have Kevin, if you're going to have Kevin Owens there next week, do you just set up something with Finn? If Finn's good to go and you do Finn versus Kevin Owens. Oh my god, if they do that, that would be fucking awesome. Holy shit. Because they need something. Because otherwise they're going to get killed during that main event. Who's someone big they could bring back for EO to go against? Like, is there any female we're not thinking about that's in NXT? Charlotte? That's, well, I, I thought of Charlotte immediately, but I just don't see that happening. I, I think she's still injured. Could be. But I'm just saying, like, you know, oh, set up something they... next week to work for war games of having a women's match. Tessa? 
Holy shit. All right, quit fucking with me. I don't even want to think about this anymore. Well, I, I'm not, so. I, I mean, I brought Tessa up earlier because of the Boa thing, where it's like, she's coming. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think of who would be a big female wrestler that would be coming. I don't know why you would have that guy be the guy to announce this, but... And not uh, only that, you would think that it would be probably, like, you know, at least an Asian performer, but, like, who the fuck would they have signed that would be a big deal that's Japanese or Chinese? Carrie Zane? I'm there. There's that too. Yeah, if she wanted to come back to NXT, I mean, yeah, that that could make sense as well. I mean, Burger Theo no, would be great. There's no reason why they couldn't re-sign her. She's like, I don't, I don't want to go to the main roster anymore. There's no. <laughs> She's like, I will. I, I mean, that's a that's a stretch. I I don't think Tess is a stretch. I feel like they're gonna they're gonna make something happen. I mean, that's the one advantage about AEW announcing their cards so far in advance. I mean, that's good for AEW because you know what's going to happen on the show. But if you're trying to counter-program, like Kevin Owens versus Finn Balor, that's a big one. And if you could do EO versus Kerry Zane or EO versus, I don't know, shit, maybe Asuka's bored. Like, someone, right? Tessa. There's a lot of stuff you could do. A lot of stuff you could do. And remember, we also have the concept of Killer Cross. We don't know what the hell's going on with him. So even if they had a Kevin Owens, you know, match with Finn Balor, I would assume they put it back on Finn Balor. Uh, even though I love Kevin Owens, I would love him to get the title. But either way, either of them can get attacked right afterwards by Killer Cross saying, that's my fucking title. So they could do, like, what I'm saying is, they could have Kevin Owens start something with Finn Balor next week. They announce to be a counterpoint towards the next week with Kenny Omega and Moxley NXT championship match, Kevin Owens and fucking Finn Balor, huge match. And afterwards, Finn Balor gets destroyed by killer cross, setting that up for war games that next weekend. And cross beats Finn Balor, who already got his ass fucking destroyed by Kevin Owens. They could do something like that. I'm just, I'm throwing ideas out there. I mean, you could easily just have Kevin Owens win because Finn's injured and, and that's too. And give a big injury, you could have Kevin Owens do the uh, apron bomb on him. And then you're right back to uh, Kevin as champ, which is not a bad thing. Because you can put Ciampa, you can have Kushida. I don't know. It's just very odd to me that Kevin Owens is randomly showing up knowing that... I thought the same thing. They're doing something with him. We'll find out next week. But that is something to look forward to. And it... I really hope it's not just him doing commentary. I'm going to be really pissed off if that's the case. That's kind of dumb. He's too much of a hothead to just do commentary. It is Kevin Owens after all. <laughs> yep. All right. So let's get the SmackDown. I thought last night's show was actually really fucking good. I, I enjoyed it. Um, we had, you know, the Street Profits hyping up. Survivor Series, talking about the final farewell to The Undertaker. Montez Ford did his Undertaker impression, rolled his eyes in the back of his head. Uh, and Thunder and Lightning Strikes, and they're like, uh-oh, what the hell did we do? <laughs> Watch, walks Biggie, and he's got a black sombrero on his head, and they're like, why, why'd you do a sombrero? And he's like, that's, uh, I don't know, that's all we can find in props, and throws it off. But this gets kind of heated between them, because they're like, yeah, you know, uh, let, your, let your boys know, the New Day, that, uh, that They've got to watch out because we're going to be beating them and be the best tag team. They go back and forth. And Big E presents that the New Day is actually there. So he does his normal old shtick of introducing um, 
which we call Kofi and uh, Xavier Woods. They make their way to the ring. Uh, they get interrupted first by Sammy, who wants nothing to do with them, wants them to shut up. Um, and they give it to Sammy, tell him that, you know, you look you look like a dad that just had a good settlement uh, and, and, and has nice, like, nice apartment. Like, good for you. Good for you. That's a compliment. Like, you know, just giving him shit. I love fucking Xavier and Kofi. Um, even if, they, if if that's the stupid dialogue the writers gave them, they make it work. Um, so then we had King Corbin who comes out and is like, Sammy, you look like an idiot. Like, what are you doing? You're letting these guys parade you. We had Dolph Ziggler come out, who's obviously had a long history with, uh, with uh, Kofi Kingston. And Dolph is like, I thought you guys broke up like a friggin' month ago. What the hell are you doing back? But um, they said that they wanted to have a match. And they basically set it up like it could be the four against two of us and these two. So they bring out the Street Profits. They have a, a good tag team match. Um, Kofi uh, got a, gets a boom drop on Rude. Kofi waits uh, for the Trouble in Paradise. But Rude ducks. Kofi blocks a glorious DDT. Woods tags in as Rude uh, sends Kofi to the floor. Rude runs into a kick from Woods in the corner. Woods with the DDT to Rude for a two-count. Dawkins gets the tag and drops Corbin, and he's uh, and he ran in. Uh, Dawkins with the spine buster to Rude. Sammy yells from the apron, not realizing he was tagged in. Uh, Dawkins yanks him into the ring and hits a big spine buster himself. Ford tags in and hits a big clash-out splash to Sammy for the win. And after the match, music hits as the champions meet in the middle of the ring and Santal. Both of them rise their titles in the air, and they, uh, you know, start talking shit a little bit towards each other, setting up this tag match for this weekend that I am looking forward to. I like the part in the match where they're doing their little, uh, you know, uh, what the hell, mud hole stomping, tagging, in, and uh, uh, Montez Forge tries to tag himself in, and Kofi gets pissed off and, like, tags himself out like, you're not a part of this sort of thing. So I thought that was a, a pretty good dynamic. I also like how Rude got... Uh, whatchamacallit, uh, you got Dawkins with his spine buster, and shortly after that, Dawkins uh, got Sammy with his spine buster, so we got the comparison, because they both got a pretty good spine buster. Robert Rude, though, one of the best. Uh, but yeah, Street Profits and New Day win. What do you think about this match? I thought they did a good job setting up the... I mean, that's the pay-per-view match, right? Tag team versus tag team. Yep. So I thought they did a good job of setting that up. I like the segment leading into it. Big E's still hilarious. Uh, New Day's still great. I'm still confused on why they separated the guys only to have them be together still. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> um, but uh, that should be a really fun match between New Day and Street Profits. We haven't seen that yet, right? No. So that should be fun. I mean, uh, it's good to see. Xavier Woods looks like better than he did before his injury, which is kind of crazy. I don't know if you've noticed that. I thought he looked yeah. really good in the ring here, um, which is crazy because he's coming off an Achilles tear. He was out for almost a full year. Uh, similar. I think Ember Moon had the same injury, right? I think so. Yes. So that's cool. I mean, it's good to see the new day back in full form, everyone healthy. I like what they've been doing with Big E and the street profits have been, uh, been entertaining. I don't know who you who you put over in that match. 
I don't know. I think that the Profits kind of need it, but it would be really weird if the New Day is a secondary tag team in everyone's eyes. Kind of makes me think Uso fuck finish. Could be. I could see that. I like I that know, idea. I don't know if Jimmy is is uh, healthy enough for them to start that feud. That's the only caveat, I guess. All right, so we have a video package showing Jay Uso and how he destroyed Daniel Bryan a couple weeks back. Uh, and Brian's going to be going against Uso at the end of the night. Uh, Brian's backstage with Kayla Braxton. Sammy walks by before they're about to do the interview, starts ranting and yelling about the loss. Uh, Daniel Bryan just giving him the stink eye the whole entire time. Sammy stops and starts ranting at Brian about respect. Brian just smiles. Uh, he gets more in his face, and this is when Daniel Bryan takes his mask and puts it over his face, and uh, he's just yelling at him, and he fucking just pushes him on the ground and like basically like flexes at him, like do something. Sammy's like, this is not over. This is not over and walks off. And then, you know, Brian just makes a comment. That he's, he wants people to stay six feet away from him. So just plug it in that concept. That was awesome. After the break, Daniel Bryan does talk about, you know, well, first Kayla's going to compliment him on his new hairstyle, which he's got shaved sides on his head, whatever. But, just the whole thing, the whole attack, and he gets it. You know, Jay said that it's nothing personal. He understands that concept because he's got a devil on his shoulder, and that's Roman Reigns, essentially. Uh, but, you know, there's, there's going to be no nonsense from him. Uh, and uh, at the end of the night, Jay's going to, you know, get his comeuppance, essentially. But uh, I love the return of Daniel Bryan. I like what's going on. He's going to end up getting a win, obviously, to Jay Uso at the end of the night, getting his win back. And I think that we got two things that we're setting up. And I could be wrong, but I think that Daniel Bryan's going to be the one that takes that Intercontinental title off of Sammy uh, because Daniel brings prestige. And I wouldn't be surprised if eventually we have a feud with the IC champion or if he doesn't take the title, if we get a feud with Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns because I think there's a lot to – and I've been saying this because of what happened years ago, there's a lot to do with – that type of dynamic with Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns. You know, the year that everyone wanted Daniel to push, Roman was pushed, and that's when everyone started really just hitting into Roman. Uh, and then the Royal Rumble that happened after that. So I could be wrong, but I think there's a story to tell there. I think there could be a next chapter. But the whole thing with Sammy also seems like he's going to be involved with that title sometime soon. But I love Daniel Bryan. thought he had a great match with Jay, but we'll talk about that in a little while, what do you think about this interview and his interactions with Sami Zayn and what he thought about Jey Uso? So did they announce Daniel Bryan versus Sami Zayn at Survivor Series for the IC title? No, no. The, it just, Sami said, I will remember this. We have unfinished business. Uh, Sami's going against uh, Bobby Lashley, uh, U.S. title versus IC title. Okay, so they're doing that, I guess. I, I was just thinking, man, if that's the match, that's going to steal the show. So have, we got, to... have we gotten that match before we did. WWE? You've probably forgot, but WrestleMania was Daniel Bryan losing to Sammy, but Sammy wasn't wrestling like Sammy. He was wrestling a chicken shit heel the whole entire time and barely got the win at the end. While Daniel was distracted, he rolled him up. Oh, that's where it was like a handicap match or whatever. Didn't they do that it wasn't, twice? It wasn't a handicap match, but he had fucking Cesaro and Nakamura there. So they basically fucked with Daniel the whole entire time and he got screwed over at the end. 
Yeah, because the only other time I remember them in the ring, which was awesome, was when Shane McMahon got injured like right away on Daniel's comeback when he first came back. And it was Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens and Daniel Bryan just fucking tearing it up in the ring. I mean, it was silly that Daniel Bryan still won over those two guys, but it was good. But if you're going to give me like an honest, heartfelt Sami Zayn where he's not just chicken shit versus uh, Daniel Bryan, holy shit, that'll be great. Uh, him versus Bobby Lashley will be really good too. If if someone can bring Bobby Lashley to a great match, it's going to be El Generico himself. Yeah, no shit. I completely agree. All right, so this is this is something and kind of going to what I was theorizing. Not so much what I think. I like Otis, but not so much what I'm saying that Otis has potential to be, but what I think WWE is doing. And uh, we have Adam Pierce. He's talking backstage, and he's talking about how he hasn't found the final member for Team SmackDown. By the way, there was a report going on. I'm pretty sure it was the Observer that originally Big E was going to be announced as the last person. They decided to change that. So Adam's talking about how uh, you know they need they need someone with resiliency. They need someone that has a good story like he does. That's been through it all and has gone through hard times. Huh. And it's Otis. And Otis Ugh. is, oh, oh yeah! You know, and, and doing his whole thing. Chad Gable last week wanted to help out Otis. Uh, I don't know why, so he's coaching him. So they're both very excited that Otis is on this team. So Chad Gable's not Shorty G anymore. He's Otis's manager and pep coach. Great shit. Uh, and, of course, like I said, I'm telling you, they're trying to make Otis like uh, a, a Dusty clone. They're trying to build it that way. They're building the wrong person out of this group. <laughs> Chad, when Chad Gable is released from this contract, he is going to go somewhere and make so much fucking money. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> He's so good. Um, it's fine. I don't like, I don't know. It's disrespectful for Dusty. Otis is not even on the same fucking level as Dusty. Not even close. I mean, he's entertaining, but he's not fucking Dusty Rhodes. Let's just be honest. You've been gone through hard times. I was like, oh, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Was the whole idea going to be Tucky was going to be part of the Raw team? <laughs> I don't know what the hell happened with Tucky. He's now, like I said, going for the 24-7 title. But, I mean, he screwed over Otis, so why not just do... Like I, everyone has said that. Why not have Otis and fucking Tucky have their blow-offs since they're on opposite things at this pay-per-view? Even if you put in the pre-show, just to finish it. Yeah, Stupid. Per- apparently Vince just didn't realize that they were separated and now has forgotten about the story <laughs> altogether. I mean, I guess Mandy's injured, too. I swear to God, if Otis comes out with polka dots on his, uh, on his outfit next week, I'm going to throw a brick at the television. Yeah, because, because the polka dot Dusty is the Dusty everyone remembers. Yeah, well, that's a good point. That's <laughs> that's not the best interpretation. It, I mean, he's not he's not Dusty Rhodes, guys. He's not going to be over like Dusty Rhodes. It's not it's not the same. I agree with you. Well, we also had Natalia. She was pretty pissed off that randomly Otis got added to the team, but she has to go against Tamina to be able to be a part of it, and. Pierce is like, well, I already got a past champion with a lot of accomplishments that I asked to be a part of the women's team, and that is Bailey. So you're going to have to beat uh, Tamina to be able to get in. So she storms off. 
After the commercial, we come back, Seth Rollins setting up the match. Man, you know what sucks is that Seth Rollins, especially as a heel, kind of getting away from being so, like, so quiet while he's talking. And the, the, the cult leader thing wasn't working. Now that he's been swarmy and more of a dickhead and arrogant, it works out better. And he basically says that, you know, Rollins, Murphy has to be thankful for his success, for meeting his girlfriend. For everything that that has happened to him as of recently, you know, all that his, he's excelling is because of his interactions with Seth Rollins and their match tonight. He's going to fucking put him back in his place for the greater good. So, uh, you know, because of Murphy's mistakes, Rollins uh, is not happy about this. And with this, with the match last week with Ray, with him recently on promos, uh, his match with Murphy and how he's acting in that. He has been a much better fucking heel than he was uh, for for the longest time, honestly. And now he's about to take a break. So, whatever. I guess that works out. But I thought this was a strong promo from Seth. Um, and it set up a pretty damn good match that happens later. What do you think, Chris? I have to agree with you. I think this is a much better version of Seth Rollins. It kind of goes back to when he won the title. Um, when he screwed over Roman with the money in the bank briefcase and won the title and became that heel. He seems to be more in line with what that was more in line with what Tyler black was, which is a better version of Seth Rollins. Um, yeah, it's going to be weird that he's gone. I'm just curious on when they're going to bring him back. Cause when he comes back, I'm, I'm assuming he's coming back as a baby face. Thanks kitty. Sorry. Um, yeah, that's, that's what I'm wondering too, because all right, so however long he's out for maternity leave, got to realize that it's got to come to him and Roman at some point. But Roman has Daniel Bryan, it seems like, is in his his view. Like, there's other guys that he's going to be able to... It, it seems like Seth's going to have to come back, probably be babyface. But I don't know. I, I you know, is it, I don't want him involved with Rey Mysterio, but I do like the dynamic that him and Murphy now can go back and forth to because they have great matches and they have this story that they've started together. So it'll be interesting what happens when he comes back. If he's babyface or he goes back to being this version of this heel. And I think he's finally found his footing, if you will, with this version of it. Yeah, I could see him coming back at Money in the Bank or at SummerSlam and then immediately challenge Roman, because I don't think Roman's going anywhere unless, uh, like, barring an injury or something, as as their top heel, and he'll still be on SmackDown. It's it's definitely interesting, man. I think that that Roman and Seth could have a very similar dynamic in kind of a building a feud going, you know, further, kind of like what Triple H and Sean had, where you can have that aspect of them, you know bitter enemies fucking wanting to kill each other. But eventually if you want to put them in the same group when they're both baby face, you could do that. You know, they could just have a similar type of interaction, uh, starting up soon. Like when Sean came back and him and triple H were at each other's throats and Sean and him had that awesome fucking brawl. And then eventually Sean won back the championship at the first elimination chamber. You know, I think there is a, a similar in the way that they've been, the way that they were brothers in the past, and now they're two different individuals. You got to have them cross cross hairs uh, sometime soon in the future. I would say. 
Yeah, I, I agree with you. The only the only thing that makes me sad is that Roman and Seth are going to be forever locked into WWE, and they're never going to get to go against this version of Moxley. Nope. Which would be great. I want to see Moxley and Omega versus Seth and fucking Roman all where they're at right now. Hangman Adam Page is just on commentary drinking the entire time. Just crying. Sad. Just sad. Him and Samoa Joe, they're the, they're the commentary. They're just sad. Adam, haven't you already had like four drinks right now? Jesus Christ. All Shut I have... up. You're not my mom. <laughs> he just turns into uh, the the trailer park sheriff from trailer park boys. He's like, <laughs> I am the whiskey, Randy. <laughs> Oh, man. All right. Let's move on. We had that match with Natalia and Tamina. Uh, Bianca Belair was a commentary. Uh, she would get overshadowed by Bailey, who just came out and also came on commentary, announced herself as the captain of the women's team. Her and Bianca were bickering. So this kind of makes me think that after Survivor Series, these two ladies are going to be in a feud together, which will be good. Um, and obviously, Natalia beats Tamina. And all the women come out. We have now the two teams. We have Liv Morgan. We have Ruby Riot. We have Natalia. We have Bailey. And we have Bianca Belair. And they're going to be going against Lacey Evans. Um, it's Lacey Evans, Peyton Royce, who took the place of Mandy and uh, because of her injury. And Dana Brooke, because unfortunately she's associated to Mandy. So Peyton Royce, Lacey Evans, um, Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, and Lana. And I think it was Brian Alvarez that made the discovery of this. It was like, you know, the the best female wrestlers that are involved in this match are all past NXT alum, like like recent ones, because it's like Shayna Baszler on her team. I think she surpasses almost everyone. On her fucking team. Nyla, obviously Lana, Peyton, Lacey. And then you look at, you know, Ruby Riot is a good in-ring worker. And, and you have Bailey, obviously, and Bianca Belair. And, you know, it's just, what? This is, this is going to be fun. I have a feeling it's going to be my least favorite match, Chris. Got to be honest. I have a feeling that this is where you put Shayna Baszler over really big. And make yeah. her be the last person left on this really, really abysmal Raw team. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I, it's probably going to be her and Nia left at the end of the match. And and it, I don't think they're going to do the breakup here. But I could see Shayna beating two or three people to win the thing for Raw. Yeah. Well, talking about something I don't care about at Survivor Series, now we're going to talk about something I highly do care about, and a lot of it had to do with this next segment. So we have the contract signing, which is so weird they have a contract signing for a fucking title against title, not no one's winning anything, but whatever. You know, especially when you have the women come out in a segment where they just talk to each other in the ring directly afterwards, but... Uh, I get why they did this. So they have the table. Adam Pierce is at the head of the table in the scenario where usually you have one guy on one side and one guy on the other side. 
And so Drew McIntyre comes out. He sits on the, you know, the further side of the table from the entrance of the ring. And then Roman comes in and Roman goes to Adam Pierce and looks at him. And finally Adam realizes, oh shit, I'm at the head of the table. So he gets the fuck up and Roman sits there. And Adam Pierce goes to where Roman was supposed to sit and, you know, kind of introduces, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the, the contract itself, the match itself. And while this Reigns takes his time, uh, you know, to just start, smirking at drew and uh Reigns tells drew uh he knew he could pull it off Heyman didn't but Reigns knew he could pull it off because he's been in drew's shoes Reigns goes on and drew knows he's trying to get into his head provokes him to flip in the table over and going off but that's not going to happen drew said he's going to get uh to the point Reigns told him to go get himself the title and he did, but not for Reigns, for himself. Drew ends up signing the contract, and fans, and the fake fans cheer. Thank you for noting that, whatever. Drew hands the contract over to Reigns, telling him it's his turn, uh, his show, and his move. Drew asks uh, Reigns to ask to please understate him. I love that line. He advises Reigns to use these last two days uh, to, of peace to prepare for war. And then Reigns smirks and goes to ink the contract, but stops and can't believe Drew would try to give him advice. Reigns says Heyman advises him. Reigns is going to give Drew the advice and let him sit under his learning tree. Reigns says Drew isn't going to like where he's going on or where he's going to go Sunday, and he won't understand the brutal truth, but one day he will understand. He's a secondary title holder, a prop, a stand-in. He goes on taking shots at Drew for being the champion they they use when Reigns is busy. Reigns says he's the champion, the face of WWE, uh, Drew's uh, tribal chief, and the head of the table. Reigns says one day Drew will have a chance to be the man, the face of the company, and when he does, he will look back at these nights and thank Reigns. And love him for the times he's allowed to learn lessons. Rain goes on and finally signs a contract. Then Drew, then tells Drew that he will always be his favorite number two. Drew is still seated, and Rain's music hits. Drew stands up, starts staring at Drew at Roman Reigns. There's no him turning around at all. He just fucking just doesn't even look at him. Goes up the ramp. Then Drew's music hits, and uh, yeah. That was, that was really good. Roman Reigns, like, I don't, I can't believe, I didn't even know he had this in him. And the way he was delivering, his delivery was good acting. Like, it was really great. And Drew McIntyre, I thought, has gotten better as a babyface on the mic as well. I like his aggressive nature of, you know, just underestimate me. Please underestimate me. But Roman just fucking puts him in his place. You'll always be... My favorite number two. God damn it, dude. Roman Reigns, Chris. Uh, turns out that Hobbs and Shaw movie was a good idea for Roman, right? <laughs> <laughs> he got a bunch of acting tips. Uh, no, I mean, he's been phenomenal. I like the storyline. The only thing I think they could they could swerve us a little bit here by 
they show up at this pay-per-view and it is title versus title because Drew McIntyre never read the contract and Paul Heyman presented the contract, which could be very, very bad (laughs) for Mr. Drew McIntyre. If they're not going to go the money in the bank route, I could see them doing contract fuckery here, which would make sense on why Roman was so cocky and smirky. The odds could be heavily stacked (laughs) in Roman's favor. How would you not read a contract if Paul Heyman's involved? That's all I'm saying. (laughs) That's brilliant. Now, they probably won't do that, but if they did, I would be like, fuck yeah, that's amazing. That's good. Um, Also, I'm kind of done with contract signings. I I prefer the way New Japan does it, where they do the press conference and set the two apart from each other, and they answer questions. Yeah. I, I would... I would like to see more of that, especially if the title's not on the line. But like you said, it's a contract signing. Drew doesn't read it. You don't normally have these unless it's a title match. I think Drew McIntyre may have just fucked himself. (laughs) That's an awesome concept. I'm kind of hoping now that something like that did happen. That would be pretty fucking crazy. All right, well, we'll have to wait and see. You know, we were talking about Seth. Earlier, I think that if this is his outing match, like the last match he has for a while, it's a pretty damn good match with him and Murphy. I like, like I said, I like them setting up this dynamic because they put on great matches. They can come back to this storyline at anywhere in the future, like the far future, if you wanted. I'm hoping that it's kind of it between them, but this is a good match, and I, I like that Seth got put in this place a bit. Now, Murphy did have. Quite a quite an entourage with Aaliyah and Rey Mysterio, um, Dominic around. So there were there not interfering, but kind of protecting him a bit. Uh, but man, Seth was good as a heel in this. There was a part where, and I don't even know if she meant to fall over, but like uh, Aaliyah tried was 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 talking shit to Seth, and all he had to do was glance at her and, try, and walk forward towards her in straight fear. Aaliyah's good, man. For being younger, she's her. She's actually pretty damn good. I've been impressed with her. But showed fear, fell on her, on her ass, and was just looking up at him, and then Murphy, shortly after that, uh, took advantage of the fact that he was distracted. Uh, they had a lot of good spots, lots of knees. There was a spark where uh, Murphy was about to go off the top ropes, and fucking Seth did his superplex into the Falcon's arrow, but he ran and jumped like Pat McAfee or like Shelton Benjamin, you know, to the top rope, grabbed his ass, suplex, then popped right back up to a Falcon arrow for a close count. Um, there was another spot where he, he almost got Murphy, where Murphy was coming in the ring and he got a stomp, but he was kind of injured, so he didn't get a chance to take full advantage of it. Um, and a great sequence where Murphy was there on the apron. Murphy was getting his ass kicked and then he nailed Seth and then he kicked him in the stomach that backed him up and then gave him this fucking giant knee and threw him off the, uh, the apron, uh, just really great back and forth. Seth had to, of course, get involved and, you know, at one point jump, uh, Rey Mysterio and Dominic. So Seth was being cocky throughout this whole entire thing thought it was going to be easy and uh he ended up uh going for a buckle bomb and he nailed it and uh he was going to go for the stomp but you know murphy came and just kneed him in the face rollins 
missed another stomp and eats another big knee. Murphy capitalizes with the Murphy's Law. Rollins laid out, and the Mysterios are all like, you know, cheering for Murphy. And he makes a pin and gets a huge win over Seth Rollins. Uh, they even said this is the biggest win of his career, which I would agree with. Uh, this now excels over his his win that in Australia where he won the Cruiserweight title against Tony Nese. I would say beating Seth Rollins is a big accomplishment. And uh, Murphy, Murphy and the Mysterio celebrate in the middle of the ring. And Seth is in complete disbelief. So this might be the last time we see Seth um, on television. So... Like I said, I thought it was a really good match. What do you think, Chris? I thought it was a really great match. It was a it was a good if this is the going out match for Seth Rollins, this is a good way to send off. Putting over a guy. Um that suplex spot was incredible, like you said, when he hit the top rope suplex and then immediately went for the Falcon Arrow. Just a lot of good stuff. Uh, Leah has been really great, but I wouldn't expect anything less from a Mysterio, if I'm being honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's just, it was good overall. Uh, the one thing I will say about buddy Murphy that just sticks in my crawl, uh, he is like the great value version of Kenny Omega. <laughs> His moveset is just so much like Kenny Omega's. I, I want him to do something a little different, something you know, to funny. at least change it up. Kenny Omega's called out that he would love to have a match with buddy Murphy many times online. That he's a big fan of his work. Is he a big fan of his work because it's his work? <laughs> uh, probably. I mean, that'd be a good match. That's like teacher versus student right there. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, and I, look, I like Buddy Murphy. I think he is. Uh, him getting a win here is huge for him. I can see him being in the IC title picture very soon. I think they can do a lot more with him. He's pretty good on the mic, and they haven't given him a lot of time. This is a big win for him. So hopefully this is a, a push in the right direction for him. Once he gets past this Mysterio family thing, I could easily see him going against people like Daniel Bryan or uh, I, the Usos or I don't know, name people. Sami Zayn? Sure. Why not? I mean, he's great in the ring. You're going to get good matches out of the guy no matter what. I hope that's not all they see out of him. And I think giving him a big win over Seth Rollins means that he has Seth's approval which should help him at least in the way he's booked. I would hope. Oh yeah. And Seth, Seth requested him in Austin theory, but he requested him before they even got Austin theory involved in that thing. So he was picked out by Seth to, to be involved in this. If you got approval by Kenny Omega and Seth Rollins, that's pretty big. I would say. Yeah. He's, he's pretty good. When Seth comes back, uh, I want him to save the curb stomp for special, like kind of like Randy Orton's punt and maybe go yep. back to the pedigree as a finisher I or agree. come with a new finisher just because they've killed the stomp at this point. Yep. I agree, man. Completely agree with you. All right. So we had Sasha Banks and Oscar in the ring with Michael Cole. And I mean, just the dynamic with these two ladies and how, you know, uh, Banks took Oscar's uh, title uh, earlier in the year, but also the last time the two met, Oscar beat her. So they're kind of positioning, even though I think they had more matches, like this is kind of like a rubber match, if you will, between the two of them. And Sasha was kind of more or less acting like she used to when she was a heel. So whatever. Oscar's obviously just yelling at her in Japanese, switching back to English, and just you know calling her ass out. 
but this was, you know, not from what Oscar wanted, but Oscar kind of pulling some heel stuff too. Carmella comes out of nowhere, beats the living shit out of Sasha. So positioning their feud after Survivor Series obviously is going to be the next thing. And Asuka just watched. She didn't give a shit. She just watched her get her ass kicked. She didn't try to help or anything like that. And uh, thought it was very interesting. But uh, Carmella says, told you so to Banks and uh, leaves. And that was it. Not really looking forward to Carmella and Sasha, but interesting dynamic of having Sasha kind of throughout the whole entire promo sound more like she did when she was with Bailey as a heel. And then afterwards have Asuka just, you know, instead of being like her normal babyface way, just watching fucking Carmella, just knock the shit out of her. Now, obviously, that, that helps her out, but you would think that Asuka would not want the easy way out, if you will, Chris. Asuka doesn't care. She's the dragon. She doesn't care. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's kind of what makes her great. Uh, the, they're building Asuka back to what she was when she came from NXT, where she's not really, like, she's not a bad guy, but at the same time... She's not here to play. Yeah, she doesn't really give a shit about you, <laughs> which I love. Um, Sorry, I didn't have a problem with that. I don't think Asuka is turning heel or anything like that. Um, I could give zero fucks about Sasha versus Carmella. I mean, Sasha is great, but... I those matches will be pretty bad. Um, as far as Sasha being a heel here, I don't know. She's just naturally a heel. Even when she was going against Charlotte, who is a bigger heel than she is, she always just came off very heelish. I, I don't know that she has the ability to be a natural baby face. Some people just don't. Like Randy Orton is a terrible baby face, for instance. Or you could even compare it to, I mean, this is a huge leap but the rock was really good at being a baby face that completely acted like a fucking heel the whole entire time he was a baby face like he would still make fun of everyone make the fucking guys interviewing him dance the fucking charleston and kick him in the ass <laughs> jonathan coachman um but yeah I, I think you're right i think sasha kind of does have that dynamic no matter what it's i mean it's another a closer example is roman reigns like roman reigns is someone that you want to hate in general to some extent. I mean, just the way he comes off is very cocky and arrogant. So it makes sense that he would spend more of his, or should have spent more of his time as being a heel as opposed to a baby face. Just some people have that aspect. The rock is, was in a different time period where, I mean, he's on the heels of Austin, right? Who <laughs> Austin in general is not necessarily the nicest person in the world. Um, what? And, uh, you know, the thing was is that they had so many other great heels that The Rock was able to bounce off of, like Triple H and and Vince and um, Taker to some extent with the corporate that uh, was the the corporate ministry. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that The Rock had to bounce off of. He was just a cocky good guy. If Bailey can get to that level, that'd be amazing. I just, it's very hard to be The Rock or Austin. We'll just yep. leave it at that. You know, that's a very hard line. I know that everyone wants to be the cool good guy, but that's a that's a tall task. There's very few throughout the history of time that are able to be heels but also be the biggest baby face in the company. That's a very good point. Very, very good point. Um, all right, so last match. I mean, if you didn't get a chance really, I mean, I guess everyone at this point, if you're still listening to this review, you probably watched SmackDown, but 
SmackDown was good. The segments were good. The, the two matches, though, that really stood out was the match that we just talked about with Seth Rollins and Murphy and this last match with Daniel Bryan and Jey Uso. Jey Uso, man, another guy that came out of nowhere, came out of his shell during this period with the pandemic and has been able to rebrand himself and put on amazing singles matches, not just be known for the tag matches, not be the Marty Jannetty in the fucking tag team, and put himself on another level. And he beat Daniel Bryan, which is a huge accomplishment for him beforehand. But this match was awesome. I think Jay got a little bit too much with the it's not personal. He said that way too many fucking times. But I saw what he was going for. And he's really embedded into this character of, uh, you know, trying to make his cousin happy, but inevitably kind of fucking up. And that's going to that's gonna change the story probably within the future. Uh, but this is one of those situations where Jay... Jay was getting the better of Daniel Bryan for a portion of this match. But, you know, towards the end, Daniel got him. And uh, Uso climbed up to the top, but uh, Bryan decks him from behind for a counter. Bryan climbs up for a back suplex, and he nails it. It was an awesome one. Like, back suplex off the top of it. Like, look dangerous as shit. Bryan starts uh, getting hyped. And uh, starts doing the yes chant. Brian with the yes kicks. Uh, while you, Uso is on his knees. You know, we hear the fake f- uh, crowd noise getting louder. Brian nails a roundhouse kick. But Uso kicks out just in time. Brian holds Uso's arm and stomps away while he's down. Brian keeps stomping and waits in the corner now. Uh, and he starts calling for the yes chant again. Brian charges but Uso super kicks him then delivers another super kick to put him uh, flat on the f- uh, the floor uh, Uso talks some trash and delivers another super kick Uso goes to the top for the Uso splash but Brian gets his knees up then tangle for a second and Brian turns it into a roll up for the win after the match Brian recovers and stands tall as his music hits uh, Brian poses in the corner and celebrates we see Uso just seething at ringside watching the celebration and they go off the air talking about Survivor Series and noting that the the big dog, the tribal chief, is not going to be happy with Jay. So there you go. Uh, Pretty good go home from SmackDown. I'd say that Raw was at least for its surprises when it came to that last match. But SmackDown definitely was a good go home show. This was a damn good match. Uh, Daniel Bryan's he looks so good in the ring, you know, still coming back from injury like he did. It's just pretty amazing. And uh, I definitely think that Roman and Daniel Bryan in the future are going to cross hairs. So what do you think about this match, Chris? And is Jay going to get yelled at by the big dog? Uh, I don't know, man. Is he or is, <laughs> is Drew going to get screwed over by Jay at this pay-per-view? Ah. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> all, all things can be forgiven, <laughs> right? Um, I thought I thought they did a good job of protecting Jay here by having him just lose by a roll up. Yep. Because they have, I mean, he's very strong right now as a singles competitor. Even though he's he's taken a bunch of losses, he's uh, I don't know, man. I like I would say he's one of the top guys on SmackDown right now, right? Just storyline wise. Yep. So it's it's very interesting. I mean, they probably would never do this, but it would be crazy if Jay won, like, the Royal Rumble. 
That right. would be incredible. Um, so I, I, I like that they protected him. They may not have all that stuff planned out yet, but the match itself was really great. Jay uh, is shining. In the year 2020, a terrible year, Jay Uso is living his best life <laughs> right now. Absolutely. Um, and you, you know what? It's it's unfair. I don't want to call you know Jimmy the Marty Jannetty just because they've never given him the same opportunity. <laughs> he just happens well, to be the one that's injured right now. <laughs> what I meant by that is it always seemed like Jimmy was the more popular out of the two of them. You know, maybe it's because of the fact that he had a little bit more he was on the total diva show a lot. So he had that type of grasp and, but it was always like, you know, he was Naomi's husband. He kind of just had a little bit more personality. It seemed like he would make the main points. And then his brother Jay would kind of repeat or talk a little bit of shit too, but he was like the leader of the two of them. And now Jay is, Jay's made a name for himself, period, just by himself. And he's beaten Daniel Bryan. I mean, that's, that's pretty fucking good. It also points out how good Roman is right now. The fact that he was able able to get Jey Uso over as a singles competitor in like yep. a, a month, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Uh, this is a good storyline. It, I, nothing negative about it at all. Uh, and like I said, I I liked the finish of this particular match for the roll up because I thought it protected Jay, which I'm not completely sure they're done with Jay and Roman, so it makes sense to protect him here. Um, there's just so much good stuff you can do with Roman right now and Jey Uso and, and the tribe and Daniel Bryan. Uh, I would definitely think that, that Roman and, and Daniel are going to cross paths. Like you said, God, my cat is just going crazy right now. Shush. Quit being so vocal. Try and do a show kitty. Sorry about that. Anyway, she's a, she's a, she's a huge Roman Mark, man. She is a big, are you a big <laughs> Roman Mark? Are you a big Dorman, Mark? You're just going to purr? Okay, great. Right when I ask you to fucking meow, you don't. All right, um, let's go over Survivor Series, man. We'll go over the matches, and we'll go over the big thing, obviously, that's separate from it. The last, well, the apparent last showing of The Undertaker, 30 years to the day in which he was introduced into WWE at Survivor Series 1990. But uh, let's go over the matches. we got seven matches. All of them... SmackDown versus Raw, the first one. We don't know who the participants, but expect everyone that's not fucking involved in something to be involved in this. The dual brand battle royal. <sighs> so I figure since Big E is not in the uh, the men's, that he'll probably be in this and he'll probably end up winning, is what I'm assuming. That's, that's my prediction for this match. It's going to be a fucking clusterfuck. Who is winning the dual brand battle royal? Chris, to get the first point. R-Truth. Beautiful. So you say R-Truth, that would be a win for Raw. I'm saying Big E would be a win for SmackDown. I like those. <laughs> I, I mean, because I, I, I don't know. Why not? I would be fine <laughs> with Big E winning it as well. But hey, man, you know what? Give R-Truth a win. <laughs> All right. So uh, we got... Um, the U.S. champion, Bobby Lashley, going against the IC champion, Sami Zayn. Uh, I don't know how Bobby Lashley doesn't win against Sami Zayn. So I'm going to go Bobby Lashley. Especially since he actually has a faction that can help him out in this. 
unless they finally make Sami Zayn part of Retribution, which I've been saying for forever because they need a guy, uh, I tend to agree with you that Bobby is probably going to win here. Also, Bobby hasn't lost in like a month. So, yeah, I'm a, either that or Sammy just gets DQ'd or something. I could see a fuck finish here. All right, so we got the New Day, Cuff Kingston, and Xavier Woods, the Raw Tag Team Champions, going against the Street Profits, Angelo Dawkins, and Montez Ford, the SmackDown Tag Team Champions. Um, Talking about this before, I think the Street Profits are going to win. I think they could kind of use this win to kind of put them over to another level against the New Day. I feel like if Lashley wins the match before, the Street Profits will win this match. If it's vice versa, I feel like New Day will win. It's not going to hurt the New Day to take a loss at this point in their careers, so it would make the most sense to put the Street Profits over, unless you're going to do some sort of fuckery with a, a tag team that we're not aware of. Yep. All right, so Asuka is going to be going against Sasha Banks. Raw Women's Champion against SmackDown Women's Champion. I feel like, especially since their last time that they had a match, uh, Asuka won. I don't think Asuka is going to be like bad, or it's it's not going to look bad for Asuka to take a loss in this. You can get someone involved if you want. Then there's Carmella, so there's that aspect of why Sasha could lose. But I just think that Sasha, if she loses, it's it's not going to be good for her at all. Uh, she finally beat Bailey. She got her ass kicked before that. She just became champion. You know, she still has not defended the title. And the, this is not a defense of that title, but this will be the next match after her winning the title. It would not be good for her to lose. So I'm going to go with Sasha. What do you think? I'm going to go with Asuka because I'm pretty sure she's been undefeated since winning the title. And I feel like they're trying to build that back up, that streak headed into Mania. If that's the case, then I, I feel like Carmella might be involved in it. I could see that, or Bailey, for some reason. All right. Um, Team Raw, uh, the women's match. We have Nia Jax, Shayna Baszler, Lana, Lacey Evans, and Peyton Royce. Going against Team SmackDown, Bianca Belair, Ruby Riot, Liv Morgan, Bailey, and Natalia. I think SmackDown's team's going to win. Um, I think they have a stronger team. I know that Raw has Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler, but the other ones are abysmal <laughs> to me. Uh, Bianca Belair and Bailey and Natalia are all pretty big, you know, you know, names. They can t- they can go through that. But I think that not only is SmackDown going to win. But I think people on SmackDown are going to help Lana put Nia Jax through the announce table. That's my prediction. I think that's a great prediction. Um, I think Bianca Bianca Belair gets the pin and wins for Team SmackDown. Definitely see that. I I feel Uh, like she's next in line for for a title shot as far as SmackDown people because you don't want to go directly back to Banks and Bayley. All right, so we have the uh, Team Raw uh, men's match. We have AJ Styles, Keith Lee, Sheamus, Braun Strowman, and Matt Riddle against Teams. Oh, I mean Riddle, just Riddle. <sighs> Team SmackDown with Kevin Owens, Jey Uso, King Corbin, Seth Rollins, and Otis. Oh, I didn't realize Seth was in this, so I guess that's going to be his last one. Whatever. Um, I expect to see some interactions between AJ Styles and Seth Rollins. 
because they had a fucking fantastic match. I wish we got more out of before in the past. I expect Otis and Keith Lee to have some type of stare off. Um, and I kind of expect Braun Strowman to, to take out quite a few people on Team SmackDown. I'm going to go with, I mean, I really don't care who wins, but uh, I'm going to go with, even though that they were disagreeing, I'm going to go with Team Roth because I just, I mean, they got AJ Styles, they got Keith Lee, Sheamus, Braun Strowman, Matt Riddle. I know that the other teams really stacked too, but I just feel like, especially Braun, it, I think Team Raw is going to win. What do you think, Chris? I think Team Raw is going to win, and I think Keith Lee is probably going to be the one that gets the pin because they need to rehab the guy a little bit. Yeah, and he was, correct me if I'm wrong, he was the last one in there for NXT last time. It was him and Roman, and Roman barely beat him. Yep, so, I mean, it would make sense for him to get a win here. And I don't think that's a bad thing. That's uh, a good thing. DDP? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Didn't mean to go DDP on us, but uh, yeah. I think that would be really good for him to get the win there. All right, the Mega Daddy, and I'm pretty sure both of us have the same uh, person picked. Raw WWE Champion Drew McIntyre. SmackDown Universal Champion Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman in his corner. Who is the top WWE World Heavyweight Champion? Their big baby face that they've been building that just got the title back and had it for a pretty damn long time before losing it to Randy Orton or their biggest heel right now, Roman Reigns, and probably their biggest superstar. I'm going to go with Roman Reigns. I don't... If Drew wins... That's not good for Roman's credibility as of right now. I feel like you're right. Jay's probably going to be involved, and Drew is going to lose. Unless Jay fucks up and ends up causing Roman the... the. But I, I don't see that happening. I, I'm going to go with Roman Reigns. Probably due to Jay Uso getting involved. What do you got? I, As I talked about earlier, I think this is either a Money in the Bank cash-in on someone, or... That contract was not what Drew McIntyre thought he was signing, and this is for both titles, and you unify the titles, and you put them on Roman, and you have him on both brands, because I think uh, USA Network would pretty much love to have Roman on their brand right now with the Raw ratings floundering. It's very good point. Very, very good point. All right, well, uh, guys, I think that's it. I think this is another episode of Wrestling Geeks Alliance. We went over a lot of stuff, gave you over three hours of content. Hope you enjoyed it. All new listeners, just to let you guys know, we usually record one show a week. Uh, we do it on the Saturdays, and we usually have the show out at least by the next Sunday. And uh, we're going to continue doing it the way that we've been doing it. We have a new section that we go over some of the big news. Uh, we usually, if there's... Some big events that happen on Monday Night Raw, New Japan show, Impact. We'll talk about it within the news. Then we cover the Wednesday shows. We cover SmackDown. In any pay-per-view, we'll either, if it's the week before, we'll go over the results. Or if it's a week coming up, we'll give our predictions. So that's our format going forward. Chris, say goodbye to all the lovely people out here. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to talk about anything prediction-wise or review-wise that I said, uh, hit me at, at Chris R. Patton on Twitter. Just did an action movie podcast for Geek Vibes Nation. Check that out. It was a lot of fun. We talked about uh, best directors in action films, uh, best action films, all, all sorts of cool stuff. So if you like action movies, check that out. Uh, if you haven't seen it yet, um, <laughs> check out the, uh, the Antifa <laughs> video that I posted up on Twitter. 
Uh, it's funny. It's a it's a grindhouse horror thing that we did for uh, the Chattanooga Horror Fest. So check that out. That's a lot of fun. And uh, I think that's all the plugs. Skates of Throats is on hiatus until next season. So once hockey starts back up, that'll be going. But I think that's all the plugs I have, Dane. It, it's fun, as always, talking to you about the wrestling, sir. Well, let me actually add one more plug uh, that I almost forgot about. Uh, I think I talked to you guys last week, if not last week, the week before that. We had our first episode of Dane Rants where we did a horror edition and talked about Ari Aster. Uh, we talked about Hereditary. We talked about Midsommar and also the evolution of film with horror and our tour directors doing horror movies and vice versa. So we have – I don't know what the name of the show is going to be. It's not going to be Dane Rants. We're going to get some type of theme music, but uh, not this next Sunday. But the following Sunday, the 5th, will be our first episode that we're going to be doing monthly. And if we end up enjoying it, we might end up doing it bi-weekly. But for right now, we'll be doing it monthly. We're going to be going over The Exorcist, the big daddy of them all horror movies. And as a counterpoint, because I want to talk about two different films on each show, my second favorite Exorcist-style movie in horror, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. So looking forward to reviewing that. Um, I have a couple co-hosts. Uh, Chris is one of them. Uh, my brother, who was on the last episode, and my good friend Alex Krieger uh, will be involved in the shows going forward. So look for that. I don't know what the name of it is, but I'll have it out there for the first episode. And going forward, we'll be doing this monthly. So, Chris, are you excited about uh, you know chiming in on episodes for this? I'm so excited. And if you guys hadn't heard their first podcast, definitely go and check it out. It, it was really, really great. The area Aster stuff was incredible. Um, a really good review of, of his films so far. I thought that was very well broke down. So I'm really happy to be a part of it for sure. It's going to be a really good time. And thank you, sir. I appreciate that. But yeah, great dive in to some of horror's biggest movies. We're not going to just do, you know, very art, you know, artsy movies. We might do some funny ones like basket case and, you know, just whatever, whatever we decide to go over, it will just happen month by month. But like I said, first one, we're going with the big, big old mega daddy of horror movies, the exorcist. You can also find me at Dane Alves 42 on Twitter and also on Facebook at Dane Alves. Uh, definitely go to geekfivesnation.com, geekfivesnation.com. You'll find news articles from our various writers over everything geek-related, as well as links to all of our audio platforms. You can also just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance on Google. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on, uh, man, just everything that you can think of. Uh, Spotify. You know, just Red Circle. There's a bunch of them. You can find it. Just search Wrestling Geeks Alliance on those various platforms or Google it. Um, and also just go to our Geek Vibes Nation Instagram. Twitter, Facebook, join the sensation, join Geek Vibes Nation. Want to thank everyone, new listeners, old listeners for listening. And uh, yeah, just have a lovely weekend. Enjoy Thanksgiving. We're going to be doing a post-Thanksgiving show. Or maybe that, maybe next weekend we'll take off. Depends on what me and Chris are doing. I just realized that. So just eat a lot of turkey and try not to like, you know, get so comatose that you sleep all day. Go do something, an activity or some shit. Throw a ball with your dad. I don't know. But either way, you guys have a good one. Let the Geek Fives be with you. And as always, peace out.
Sickness, but in the miracle moment I was awoken and the light shone through